Here we are together again, ladies and gentlemen, episode 96, The Voices of Mitch and the Adam Schefter of Death Stories. <laughs> I'm not sure how to do that, how, what to call you. You, I, I, you. you understand what I mean yeah, by I know, the Adam yeah, yeah. Schefter of Death Stories? I like, to be the, I like to give you the breaking news of a death. I find out more about deaths, <laughs> hirings yeah. at old radio stations. Oh, yeah. I love all that stuff. Think, yeah, you know, yeah. Controversies. I find out so much of kind of the... The dark side of the world from you. I know that when it's dark, that side of somebody well, gets a job. De- well, the deaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have a rest in peace later for. Oh, jeez. Um, it's it's a building though. It's a building you're familiar with. How do you find out about these things before anybody else? I I think I joked. Was it on the P episode that I joked? That Hotshot Scott is like the Adam Schefter. He gets the report <laughs> before they actually flatline. Right before That's they right. flatline. Yeah. yeah. Scott gets it and he yeah. sends it out because I know when I, I, it's it's actually you know how they say on Twitter when somebody's trending you go and and the first thing you see is oh my god I thought when somebody was trending that he had died yeah, you, know, yeah. That's like, you always see that uh, who's the actor um, it's always that same I think one. it's somebody running down the escalator oh, that the wrong one way. too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no yeah. D- Denzel Washington always Denzel Denzel going, Washington oh. yeah well I have a similar a similar phenomenon when you text me when i just see scott soden <laughs> that like a notification <laughs> well i think okay all right who died yeah yeah yeah. who died somebody died somebody got their head cut off that's right maybe somebody got hired that would be good i just as soon as i get a lot of stress and anxiety and so as Come soon as on. i see scott soden <laughs> yeah has tweeted well I'll, I'll save them all for for the show and i won't i won't text you anymore about it is that good? Does that work for you? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. I want to know, but I just, I, I have a, it's amazing your pipeline. Yeah, You've yeah. got such connections in the underground world. I have stringers all over yeah. every hospital. <laughs> People call me from the payphone like the old days. Uh, I, I, another thing that stresses me out is I'm getting a lot of questions. When I say a lot of questions, <laughs> maybe three. Okay. A lot of questions now that we're on episode 96. Mitch, what are you going to oh. do for episode 100? It's creeping up, isn't it? Well, it's anyway. about four weeks away. I, be, I feel like we're at 45 or something. No, we're at 96. We're at 96, <laughs> and people are expecting, and that stresses me. As soon as there are expectations, I'm on edge. I think I told you we go. We have to go double zero or zero at some point, right? We give somebody, but Benjamin, I suggested. You, you're, you're not following me. You're yeah, talking but then we about, have to go after that. I no, know. you're yeah. talking about the, what are we doing with the, the naming uh, of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying people expect something special. Oh. <laughs> Like Letterman would have like a big like right. 20th year anniversary think, hey, special. It's the 100th yeah, episode yeah. of Mitch Unfiltered. You got to do something special. And now I, now I feel like the clock's ticking. I got four weeks oh, to come yeah. up with something. You're one-on-one with Michael unusual. Jordan. <laughs> Is that what people are expecting? I got a better chance of a one-on-one with somebody who's dead. <laughs> right. Who I you, told you about. Because you have the pipeline. <laughs> right, right. So I don't know. If I you have any ideas, I don't know if something comes to your mind now or you want to work on this. Maybe okay. Steve D. Maybe there are listeners out there that are listening to this right now and saying, hey, let me let me send him an email. You're going to hear a lot of emails later on in the show. Oh, can't wait. Let me send Mitch an email at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and give him some suggestions, some reasonable suggestions for episode 100. And all of you that are going to send me, get Steve Sandmeyer on for episode 100. Oh. You want to address that one? <laughs> one guy keeps asking for Steve Sandmeyer. One guy? <laughs> well, yeah, but the one in particular, like oh. every week, it's this huge paragraph. We'd yeah, love yeah. to have it. As if you and I never thought of it, right? <laughs> that's that's how I'm reading this. Like, As oh, if we're not idea. in touch with Steve Sandmeyer. Yeah, right. So 
for the record, Steve's yeah. been asked multiple times. Many, many, many times. He has chosen not to do, as he says, any of the podcasts. He's just, he's beyond that now. It's, it's, it's an old part of his life, and he's on with a new chapter of his life. He's just he's not, not going, interested. He's not going back there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have asked him, everybody. Okay. Calm down. All right. Uh, 96, episode 96, and all 96 unfiltered podcasts, as you know, Hotshot, are available on just about all podcast platforms like Google Play and Spotify and Apple. You can take a listen. You can subscribe. You can even post a rating and review. I had no idea that Piper yeah. has a cell phone, has an iPhone. You didn't tell me that you got her a new we cell didn't. phone. She doesn't have one. Your daughter is how old? She doesn't have one? She's 11. She doesn't have one. She took our, one of our old iPhone 5s with a cracked screen yeah. and charged it and then figured out how to text well, from it. Well, I don't know. You may, you may want to investigate when you get back to the house <laughs> yeah. because I, I'm reading five stars. Hot shot gets a five. I've been listening off and on since the beginning, and I believe the addition of Hotshot Scott has been great. Love the banter and laughter he and Mitch have, and they play off each other perfectly. Keep up the great work, and one of these days I will become a patron. And then it says, now can we go to bubble tea? I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Piper, we've been exposed. <laughs> it's a little too on the nose, Piper. Tone it down a little bit. Good Lord. Well, that's nice. That was nice that she wrote. I don't know if you're telling me she doesn't have a phone. Not yet, but she's going to have to get one soon because the new school year is coming up and we're right at that window of, I think we have to do it. Well, you're at 11, right? When does she turn 12? February, but she goes to a different school because she's always been at the school with her mom. Yeah. And doesn't really need one. Right. But But forget forget what she needs. At what point do kids, I'm trying to remember when our kids got their first cell phones. She has friends that have them. a little flip phone or something. She has friends that have them. So it starts at 10, 11. I'm Has just, the discussion started in your house? Oh, of course. She asks all the time. All and the time. Is she okay with the answer of no, or no. does she get mad? Oh, she gets upset. She doesn't understand it. Her and friends have it. Define upset. Well, she just, what does upset look like for Piper in the, in the oh, Hotshot Scott household? It's a lot of eye rolling, a lot yeah. of attitude. Really? Oh, yeah. No crying, no tears when she's told that she's not allowed to have a phone. Not about the phone. About plenty of other stuff, but not the phone. <laughs> and what is your... You, you obviously say at some point... What, what do you tell her at... at well, you can have one at 20. Yes. 25. 25 is what we discussed. <laughs> I just, I, it's hard for me to give her something oh. that expensive because I see how she treats everything else. Like her, she'll leave her towel oh. here, her sweatshirt. Here. She can't do anything for herself. And it's our fault. But can any kids? Well, I, I only have one. So I, that's all I can do. So what's she going to do with this phone? She, she'll have it for two days. Is and she it'll the be lost. only one of her like friend unit I, of her friend group? There's not many that Ooh. don't have. I know it's tough, but I think we're going to do it this Ooh. fall. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'd- Tell her to call Uncle Mitch. We'll take care of her. <laughs> okay, good. I'm fully aware that this may not be the best time for you to spend $5 a month to become a patron, but we do have a second show each week on Thursdays for patrons only, and we'd like to invite all of you to go to Mitch Unfiltered and click on the Become a Patron, and you'll have access to all the other episodes. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we talk about things other than LJ Collier. Occasionally, right? Yeah, we did talk a little about LJ Collier on episode 95, <laughs> yeah, P, because I forgot about him on 95. Uh, some of the latest names to have signed up to be a patron. Uh, Eric Miller, we thank him. Lewis Hatfield from the Hatfield and McCoys oh, okay. of the 1800s. And some guy named Hector didn't give us his last name. Really? And he reminds me, whenever I see the word Hector, what do you think of when you see the name Hector? Hector. I think of one person who's no longer with us. Hector Macho Camacho. Hector, Ma- Hector Macho Camacho. Yeah, yeah. I who, know. Wa- who once yelled at me on the radio, on the phone, and then hung up the phone in the middle of the interview. Really? Yeah. 
I'm going to come get you. He said something like, I'm going to kick your ass, man. He didn't like a question. I'm going to kick your ass. Really? And he hung up the phone. Was he was he already retired at that point? Oh, yeah. I think, mm, <laughs> did he ever retire? Did yeah, boxers exactly. ever retire? <laughs> uh, somebody out in the audience might remember this. I, I can't recall whether he was still, he was either an aged old okay. fighter still hanging on or he had just retired. And I asked him some question. You don't remember? I can't remember the question. He didn't <laughs> like it. And he said, he said something like, man, I'm going to kick you. I'll, if I see you, I'll kick your ass. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> really? Yeah. Have you ever had any other athletes or coaches threaten you on, on phone interviews that you can think of mm. who really got upset with you? Did George Carl ever get really upset with you? Oh, he threw stuff at me, but he wasn't that was on the person. air at the time. Yeah. In person, he did Oh, that? you're talking about on the phone. Or just either. Any interactions where you had bar- bodily harm. Got mad. People got mad. Digger Phelps threatened to throw you through a window. Hugh but- used to get mad at me all the time. Like Hugh legit Miller. mad at you? or Yeah, but he would he, he never, never threatened physical violence. Okay. But he, he got pissy many, many times. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. You have that yeah. effect on people? <laughs> oh, I'm learning something new about you every day. Oh. You got under someone's skin. That's interesting. Uh, okay. <laughs> he was a big dude, by the way. You got to be careful oh, yeah. with him. Oh, yeah. He's a tough man. He's a big, He's big, a boy. big guy. He's yeah. a big guy. Yeah. Uh, guests on episode 96, on this episode 96. Do you know the name Sam Smith? You should. Sam Smith. Sam Smith. He's not. Not the singer. Wasn't there a singer? Sam Cooke, maybe you're thinking? Or? Uh, I thought there was a Sam Smith, the singer, but I may be wrong about this. But that's not the, who I'm talking about. No. Sam Smith, well, you watched the Jordan series, so you saw oh, him. now I know who it is. He's the best-selling author of yep. the book, 1992 book, The Jordan Rules. Yep. Still considered by many as one of the greatest sports books ever written. A New York Times bestseller, Sam Smith, who was on the Jordan series a lot. Yep. He was and referenced a lot, too. He was referenced I didn't a tell lot. Sam anything. It was a lot of that. <laughs> and I've been wanting to get him on since the series ended. Yep. I knew him a little bit when I was producing for Corn. He's one of Kornheiser's guys. Get, me, get me Sam Smith. Gotcha. So I had to get him Sam Smith. So I called Sam Smith, and I've been trying to get him on. Finally, he's on episode 96. Because I feel like no one knows the Jordan. And if you haven't read the Jordan rules, read it. Read yep. the Jordan rules. It's amazing. It's one of Max's, maybe Max's favorite, movie mogul Max's favorite books. Anyway, I don't think anybody knows that era, knows what was going on behind closed doors more than Sam Smith. In fact, after now listening to Michael Jordan's reminiscing, I think Sam Smith knows more about it than Michael Jordan knows. (laughs) So what was was Sam Smith's, was he always an author or was he uh, a beat writer? No, no, no. He was a beat writer for the Chicago Tribune. A long time he was covering the Bulls for the Chicago Trib for the longest time. And then he wrote this book in 92. And when it came out, it was controversial. I remember. Because nobody had written anything bad. I shouldn't say anything bad, and Sam would get mad at me if he heard this. Uh, No one had just uncovered the other side of Michael Jordan. Right. Everybody just thought of him as the guy we saw in McDonald's commercials and Gatorade commercials. Want to be like Mike. And he was just the perfect human being. And Sam Smith was the first to let us in behind the curtain. And Michael Jordan, everybody was pissed. I'm sure. They were pissed. So what was the gambling thing? Was that Sam Smith? Was that in the book? Was that was the first time we the heard gambling about the gambling thing? I thing? think may have been after, it may have come out after the 92 book. I don't okay. recall whether the book was you have to go back i can't remember whether the book it's been a long time whether the book uh covered the but it was just about a a lot of the stuff that you saw in the series 
he wrote about in 1992. We didn't the know about the way he treated his teammates right, and practice his and all perfectionism that, yeah. and yeah. him rubbing people the wrong way and getting under people's <laughs> skin like you like to say. Anyway, Sam Smith, I don't want to That's give awesome. it away. New York Times bestselling author will be with us. He'll be the first uh, interview in segment number two. Um, Jim Callis last week marked the 2020 Major League Baseball draft. No one talks about the MLB draft. We only talk about the NBA and the NFL draft. But the MLB draft is a big thing. The Mariners picked sixth overall, if you're interested in the local team. And I think Jim Callis, and I think you'll agree when you hear him, he's the best at covering like minor league baseball and the wow. draft. And he'll be on episode 96. And then, if you followed it, the Mariners drafted their next huge superstar pitcher with the sixth overall pick. A kid by the name of Emerson Hancock out of the University of Georgia. His pitching coach, Sean Kenny, the guy who worked closest for two, three years with Hancock, will be our guest on episode 96. He's going to tell us everything we wanted to know, but we're afraid to ask about Emerson Hancock. (laughs) Great. I can't wait to hear it. In fact, here's here's your first of many trivia questions on episode 96. And you won't get any of these right. Okay. (laughs) There have only been five pitchers that the Mariners have drafted higher in the history of the organ. So they took uh, this guy out of Georgia, this pitcher sixth okay. on Wednesday of last week. Only five times in the history of the Mariners have they chosen a pitcher higher than number six. Have I heard of any of them? I've heard of a lot of them. You may or may not. I don't know how much of a baseball guy you Mark are. Mark Langston. No. No. Danny Holson in 2011. Okay. Ever heard of Danny Holson yeah, at the University of Virginia? Part of the, the big three. Taiwan Walker. He and, got hurt right yeah. away, and he never he never threw a pitch, I don't think, for the Seattle man. Danny Holson, number two overall. Wow. A guy by the name of Brandon Morrow. Yes. Brandon Morrow. Yeah. I think they took him instead of Lincecum. Look at you. Is that right? Look at you. See? I used to work at a sports station. <laughs> All those people that texted in and says Hotshot doesn't know anything about sports are wrong. Oh, I, I, mean, got plenty, I got plenty of those. I'll come right back down to earth one. in the next I got segment. plenty of those. Uh, a guy by the name of this. So they took Brandon Morrow, yes, out of the University of California instead of Lincecum yeah. out of Washington right. with the fifth overall pick in 2016. Who needs a Cy Young winner, a local Two kid? Two times in a row. <laughs> Who needs uh, that? 1989, third overall pick, a guy named Roger Salkeld. Yeah, I remember the name. Uh, out of high school. 1984, second overall, Billy Swift. Billy Swift was out on of the team Maine, while, yeah. I believe. He went to Maine. And 1981, with the first overall pick, Mike Moore who was a pitcher for the Mariners but had his better days, like all the rest of these guys. <laughs> they always have their better days somewhere else. That's, that's right, yeah. Those are the names. Holtzen, Morrow, Salkeld, Swift, and Moore are the only five guys in Mariners organization history, pitchers that they drafted higher than they just drafted the other day, Emerson Hancock. I hope he's better than all the above. Yeah, me too. Not a lot of Hall of Famers in that, uh, in that right. list of five, are right. there? Yeah. So we'll, we'll visit with Emerson Hancock's Great. pitching coach here on Episode 96. All right, Hotshot, episode 96. But before we begin, Daniel's Broiler, the Les Shy location, now open. Bellevue and South Lake Union returning shortly. Finally, some good news for the Schwartz family restaurants. Lindsay will be back with us here on episode 96. And by the way, $40 bottles of yellow label Vouv Clicquot offered right now at Les Shy which is celebrating its 40th birthday this year. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250. Low interest rates, a selling market which is much hotter than you'd think, 
And of course, great refinance opportunities with numbers in the high twos and low threes. Make sure you take a look at your mortgage because when the economy hits a speed bump like this, we all need to take advantage of lowering our monthly payments. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage and Jordan Flowers team. Evergreen Golf Call, the market hit a major speed bump last Thursday but still climbing its way out of the hole. CEO Tyler Hay will again be with us on 96. Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free. Offices along the West Coast, headquartered here in Bellevue. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. And Zeke's Pizza, they're open. All 17 locations. We can finally go back to Zeke's. Only 25% occupancy on the inside, 50 on the outside. You know that Zeke's Pizza delivers, but get on the Northwest Craft Beer bandwagon. Growlers right to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Pay in advance. You tip in advance. Deliverer drops the pizza at your door. I like to call it delicious normalcy in the midst of the pandemic. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Episode number 96 starts now unfiltered if you said list to me the three or four most curious things you are about the seahawks lj collier would find his way on that list one year in and either he's a simple case of a guy a very repetitive case of a guy who just needed a year to get adjusted and so this will be the year that he starts to pay dividends that we start to see flashes or he's a complete unadulterated waste of a first round pick first round bust Uh, Unfiltered. You didn't see it? A guy like you? The R.I.P. King? The man who knows before they take their last breath? Hotshot Scott is like the Adam Schefter of dead people. (laughs) He prides himself. He wants to know when it looks bad, not after they pass. Yeah. As soon as it's getting down to the last few breaths, Hotshot has informants. Mitch is unfiltered. We've been waiting for episode 96. Yes, we have. And some people have been messaging me saying, you have to go with Tez for 96. (laughs) I'm like, listen, we discussed it. Please listen to the podcast. That's how much we love Tez. We discussed him in 95. The way these (laughs) podcasts work is... If nobody listens, they go away. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's true. Please don't email us something that we just talked about. <laughs> I guess if you haven't listened, you don't know that you're emailing us something that we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. Episode 96, and that's the voice of the one, the only, Hotshot Scott. By the way, Hotshot. Yes. I was going to wear my Issaquah High School t-shirt that I've had for 20 years, 15 years. Who gave you that? I'm not going to tell you. I- I'm going to wear it and tell you the story on another show. Well, I can't wait. Are you sure I didn't give it to you? Yeah, I mean, the only thing you gave me was a, a Dr. Fauci that didn't fit. That <laughs> didn't fit Brett. I thought you were thin and small, but just, I, just because you save a few bucks on a baby size doesn't yeah. mean that. That's true. So uh, last night on a well, last night on Saturday night, I was faced with something you and I talked about. We went to Tacoma. Oh. oh. To go pick up food for yeah, dinner. Yeah. Because my father-in-law lives in Tacoma in in the summers. The truck. The owner of the, the truck. The owner of the truck. And I, I did see the flat tire in the back of the bed. I felt horrible. But we went to go pick up food, and people, yeah. were, people were dining in at the spaghetti factory, the place we went. 
So my wife's like, "Ooh, we should. We, I'm dying to be served. Let's let's go to the restaurant and, and you know." Really? She she totally wanted to do it. And oh no! I had to put my foot down. You didn't have to. You could have well, done social distancing and gone to the spaghetti factory. I wasn't dying. Picked up COVID nineteen yeah, as an entree or an appetizer. It only costs like three dollars on the on the side dish menu. <laughs> COVID a little side dish That's of COVID nineteen. Right, side of COVID. <laughs> side of COVID with mashed potatoes. Oh jeez. My daughter uh, wasn't dying to do it either, but we saw people dining I'm inside. Yeah. I'm still scared. I think this brings up another conversation because I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm going more and more out. We're doing some dining out in terms of outside stuff like picnicking and stuff and sitting outside. Yeah. And we do go into restaurants with masks to pick up food like you did at the spaghetti factory. Uh, I've been to a store. I've now been to QFC, which I hadn't done up until a couple of weeks or a week or so ago. I just don't. I go in a mask and I don't want to be the guy who harbors resentment. With the few people, and most people are wearing masks, typically it's a younger person that's standing next to you, not wearing a mask, yeah. and I say to myself, don't do it, Mitch. I'm trying to catch myself because I don't want to be the guy who looks down upon, like has something nasty or, ne- I don't want to have negative feelings towards anybody. Right. Yeah, everyone can make up their own mind and yeah, it's their choice. It, but it's 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 a little, it's so conflicting because- Well, it could potentially affect you, yeah. It, it, it doesn't Everyone. affect the people that are not wearing masks. Scientifically, they're not affecting themselves. They're affecting us, right? right? Yeah. So how do I stop myself from thinking badly about those people? How do, how do th- I do it? Well, I, I don't have an answer to that, but how do you feel about the little arrows in, on the, in the aisles now? The, all the aisles right. are one way. Yeah. But when you see someone coming the wrong way, oh. do you look down upon that person? I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to be that dude. There, there was a fight. I don't want to be that guy. I almost got the story, but I, I didn't. But there was a fight recently, and two people were arrested, a man and a woman, because they got in a fight about someone going the wrong way. Did you wear a face mask or whatever uh whatever you call it face covering when you went to the uh, spaghetti factory absolutely yep and everyone in there had one on and i had one on and yeah i wear it anytime i go in anywhere, and if you're I standing next to somebody who's a client or a customer that doesn't have one on do you say to yourself son of a bitch or do you like oh whatever it's, whatever it's how not, do you feel it's not really whatever it's but it's, it's not son of a bitch yeah Somewhere in the middle. it's not me trying to settle their hash form i just sort of turn okay. turn the other way yeah, or, yeah. Episode 96 has three guests. Episode Grant Wistrom has begun. We've been waiting for episode Grant Wistrom. That's right. And here it is. Was he Nebraska? Yeah, I think so. And then Rams. Why would they have given Cortez Kennedy's number here in Seattle? Oh. Did he wear it in Seattle or did he wear it like before he got here, like with the Rams? Yeah. And then may have worn some, some I maybe 98. Was 98 here. Okay. All right. Yeah, so yeah. I may admit. Yeah. So we can go. So we're not gonna, then, then we're not going to go episode Grand Wizard. But another guy who was great before he got to Seattle. I mean, he was okay in Seattle. Normally, they're good after they leave. Seattle. Oh yeah, that's true. In this case, they're <laughs> they're good before they get here. Episode Sean Jones. Sean Jones mean anything to you? I mean, you came up with Brandon Morrow in yeah. the tease. If you can't come up with Sean Jones, then I can picture a Raider. Yeah, as Sean Jones. Yeah, but he not- played for the Raiders. 96, oh, okay. defensive end. Same guy then. Played for the Packers, played for the Oilers. Okay. Pretty good, like, two-time Super Bowl champion, Sean Jones. We could go episode Sean Jones. We can go episode Pavel Bure, a, an NHL Russian rocket who oh, played gotcha. for the Canucks. Okay. An NHL guy. He wore number 96. But I think we're going to stay with Tez. And as I was researching the national, all these national articles that, that try to give you their best at every number. It dawned on me that of all the locals, even Ken Griffey Jr., because he wore 24, yeah. that 
the biggest consensus, maybe unanimous, of all the articles I read, unanimously, Cortez Kennedy, our local guy, was the greatest 96. Sports Illustrated's greatest wow. 96. Bleacher Report's greatest 90. Everybody's favorite, everybody's greatest 96. I guess he doesn't have the same competition with his number that a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. had, but yeah. 96, Cortez Kennedy. You need me to remind you who he is? Please do. You don't, I, you don't need to, but I'm, I'd love to hear Two-time it. Two-time national champion at what school? The it was a, uh, Miami Tech or something? No, uh, it no. would be the U. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Uh, Two-time. Two-time national what champion. What years were – it wasn't the 91 team. That, no way. No, he, no, no. He was no, 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 drafted in no, no, no. 90, I think. Yeah, so. no. 88, was, 89. Yeah. No, it was before okay. that. He was drafted in 90. He was the third overall pick. Here's trivia question number two for you. Okay. Brandon Morrow. Who were the two guys drafted before him in the 1990 NFL draft? Da, da, Tony da, Mandrich? Da, da, da. Nope. He was da, 89, I think. Da, 1990. Da, da. Two guys were drafted. He was drafted Cortez number three overall. Here's your lesson. Here's your look back of the, the episode 96. 1990. 1990. Cortez Kennedy was chosen just after the number one overall pick of the 1990 NFL draft out of the University of Illinois. Okay, hold on. Oh, uh, Jeff George. Quarterback Jeff yes. George. Gotcha, all right. And then came number two, the running back. <laughs> Out of Penn State University. Uh, oh, wait, I was going to say Kajana Carter, no, but he was later. Same type of player, same school. Blair. Yes. Thomas. Yeah. All right. All right. Here's your, here's your trivia question number three. In that class of 1990 uh, draftees, okay. draft picks, Cortez Kennedy, as you know, made the Hall of Fame, the NFL Hall of yep. Fame. He's one of four. From the class of 90 that made the Hall of Fame. Can you name any wow. of the other three? Any of the other three from the 90 draft that joined Cortez Kennedy in the in the Hall of Fame? He didn't get inducted that long ago, and I remember watching it. I should know. No, 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 no. He didn't get – these guys didn't go in with Oh, him. I see what you're saying. There were four players were that were drafted, drafted in 90 that at some point went in oh, the Hall of Fame. No idea. Unfortunately, one is no longer with us, like Cortez Kennedy. He was the fifth pick, two spots behind Cortez Kennedy, Derek. out of USC, a linebacker that went to oh. the San Diego Chargers named Junior oh. Seau. Yeah, he was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, he was a pretty good player. He was the fifth pick. The 17th pick in the first round is also a Hall of Famer. Okay. Out of the University of Florida and Pensacola Escambia High School. <laughs> he was the greatest high school running back in the history oh. of high school running backs at the time. Gotcha. And I think he played his final collegiate game against the University, the University of, of Washington. Washington. Yes, they shut did. his ass down, yes, didn't they? they did. I may be making that up. No, they, they <laughs> kicked his ass. At like the Liberty Bowl or something? Yeah, Liberty Bowl sounds right, yes. <laughs> Emmett be Smith. Smith. He was yes. picked 17th in the first round. Okay. 1990. And one other, and this has got to go down as, and I didn't go through all the drafts, this pick that I'm going to tell you about. Okay has got to go down as one of the greatest draft choices in the history of football. If I told you that the 192nd pick, seventh rounder, I don't even think there's 192 picks anymore in the NFL draft. There may be, just barely. Yeah, yeah. Made the Hall of Fame and was one of the greatest at his positions in the history of football. Who drafted him? 
the Denver Broncos out of Savannah State University. Little school. He had a big brother who played oh. for the Green Bay Packers. Gotcha. Shannon Sharp. His- 192nd wow. of the 1990 NFL draft. Sterling was the one that everyone oh, loved. Oh, he got off to the greatest start that yeah. he got hurt. And he never really, he came back, but he never materialized. Yeah, yeah, it was never the but same. But Shannon tells injury. you Sterling was the golden he child. Amazing. In high school. In first few years. <laughs> his whole life, oh he had to look God. up to Sterling. And then yeah. Shannon Sterling somehow passed him. incredible. Yeah, really. So, uh, Epito's, uh, episode Tez, right? Ten years in the league. He only played ten years. Played them all with the Seahawks. Eight Pro Bowls out of 10 years. He was five times either All-Pro first team, All-Pro second team. He was on the All-Decade NFL team. He's an NFL Hall of Famer. Here's the only chink in the Cortez Kennedy naming rights episode issue. Okay. He won the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year in 1992. Now you're saying, how does that, how does that hurt him? Yeah. He did not wear number 96 in his greatest year as a Seahawk. I did not remember this. Did he Did he have someone pass away in his life? Or? I, I think he – is it possible that he wore Jerome Brown's yeah, that's what I'm, number I'm, 99 for one year? I'm wondering if does that's it. Does that make it. sense? Yeah, it does. I read last night that he did not wear 96 <laughs> in, in his greatest year. year. <laughs> of course. Uh, I always felt sorry in a way that he was just on some crappy teams. Oh, was and he, he busted his ass all the time. I was so hoping he could get to a playoff game. I don't think he got to one playoff game, did he? No, I don't. Well. Maybe the one against the Dolphins. Well, he, well what's the year? He went 19, what I say, 90 to 2000. Oh, so, so 99 they, they he played. He must have played against the Dolphins in the Kingdom. Trace right? Armstrong game. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah, yeah. So Three one sacks. got John Kitten a few times. Yes, he did. Yeah. So we got one playoff game. That's the day that uh, that I think Mike Holmgren got pissed, or maybe that was just the year that he got pissed. Somebody they were Blitz was firing things off and it was too loud. He got all pissed. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got mad at Blitz of all the things. Maybe it wasn't Blitz. Maybe it was whoever the Whatever. mascot yeah, yeah, was yeah. at the time. Anyway, there's your there's your Tez flashback. Well, I wish we had more of this because I don't want to get into the emails that you said you're going to read at some point. So I was gonna I was gonna send some uh, emails your way oh. in in uh, in segment number one of of episode Tez. Just can't believe he's no longer with us. Yeah, it's a shame. Oh, I know. God. So sad. I I remember, I remember something that I may have brought up to you before. Maybe I haven't. When I was there's a famous story. I don't know that I've ever told it to you while you've been on with me. There's a famous story of me. I don't want to do this story on the 96, but it's one that you'll love. Okay. Of me going as a producer to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles when the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Buffalo Bills and I was working in D.C. and okay. I got thrown out of a club for counterfeit money. Do you remember? Have I ever told you that story? No. With the coach, with the coach, Rich Gilgat. All right. We'll say, put that on all your right, list. Right. Type it in. We'll save it for like the P episode. I know I've told it before. But anyway, I remember going, I went to a few Super Bowls um, from when I was a producer for Kornheiser and Brown and in Washington, D.C. before I came to Seattle. I went to a few Super Bowls as a producer. Okay. And I recall one of them, and I can't tell you where. It was probably the year that he was, you know what? It's probably the year that he was Defensive Player of the Year. Okay. Because he was there and he was making the rounds doing radio interviews doing radio row yeah Yeah, my guess is it probably was 1992 that seems about right okay and maybe it was january of 1993 february 1993 and i can recall loving him at miami i was a big university of miami football fan 
And somebody and a bunch of maybe more than one person telling me as a producer, you don't want Cortez Kennedy. Don't don't even have him on the radio show. Oh, I was wow. producing like it wasn't they weren't my shows that we were there with because Tony would never travel. He never got on a plane. And James Brown was was there with somebody else or something. I was helping some other shows and I had booked Cortez Kennedy and people were like telling me, don't. He's no good on radio. He doesn't want to do it. Oh. He's he's gonna. You're not gonna like it. It's gonna flop. Whatever. And I was like, I'm 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 already too far booked. It's this is booked. I'm not gonna change it now. And I just remember thinking he was great. I just remember thinking he was great. He sat down. He was lovable. Yeah, he, he had was, kind of a fun he was personality. Affable. Yeah. He. He was laughing with us. I mean, I just think he was great. He was great. But. I got to meet him once in 1994. I was working at a restaurant called Jungle Gyms in Bellevue Square, and he would come into Bellevue. He would come Jungle into Jungle Gyms. Yeah, it was like a theme restaurant with Ooh. animals and oh, it, like uh, yes, like that one in South Center. Yeah, it's not there anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like that. Yeah, um, they had a pink Cadillac sticking out the of the wall. Rainforest Cafe. It's a lot like that. But anyway, he'd come in and get to-go orders, and I remember being so starstruck. I'm 21. I, I can I, imagine. He, I mean, he was Man. everything when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. So cool. To, but I never got to know him like through the radio oh, or anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a beast. Or gone way too young. A guy that big should not be able to move that fast. It was crazy. Could how, he move fast? Oh, he was so quick. I don't remember him being quick. It was like kind of like Warren Sapp. Oh. He another was. Miami guy. <laughs> These defensive linemen from Miami. Maybe, well, yeah. maybe you're starting to understand. Yeah, well. Maybe it took this long. I'm not quite there yet, but no, he was <laughs> he was so quick for his size. Such a beast. Well, I thought I'd do something a little different in, in segment one. We've got three guests coming up. You're going to hear from the great Sam Smith. I think he's the great Sam Smith, a best-selling author of the Jordan Rules book. And you've got two other guests talking about the Major League Baseball draft and the guy in particular that the Mariners drafted. But I figured I'd share with you some of the emails. that I, You know, I always say, Mitch at MitchUnfilter.com. They come straight to me. Nobody else gets them. I get them. I read every single one of them. I try to get back to everybody. And every once in a while, I'm inspired to read some of them on the show. And that day's today, it sounds like. I thought maybe we would have some fun listening <sighs> and reading some of these emails. Right. Would you like to hear No, something? I wouldn't, actually. Why sure. are you so scared of this? I'm They're just, not about you. Well, I'm sure some are, you Don't know. be so vain, as as uh, <laughs> Carly Simon once said. <laughs> Timely she reference. She might have been talking about you. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> uh, hey, Mitch, non-sports, and you can comment about these as we go okay. along. Hey, Mitch, non-sports, keep it coming. I love sports more than anything, but we need humanity right now. Stories. And your content has been, in caps, must listen for me over the last several months. So thank you. I used to make my stepmom listen to you on the way to high school every morning. And now I'm 38, live in Tacoma, work in Seattle. My commute would not be possible without your podcast. As an original Faithful 39 member, I've always enjoyed listening to you. But there's a humility now that comes through your voice on the podcast that I never heard before. Thank you for that. I'm sure you get that a lot. Even though we've never met, I feel like I know you. I grew up with you. I hope you know there are people like me who are proud of you. As long as you create content, I'll listen. Thanks, Mitch. We're off to a good start. Does it make you feel old when people say I listen to you in high school? I know. I said I got that from like, old is not the word. People would say literally to Ancient me. Ancient is yeah, a better word. No. My parents wouldn't let us listen to the T Man show. Like, they're that young that, you know, their parents wouldn't even let them listen. No. Ugh, it's not a good, it's not good. Anyway, that was a very nice one. And yeah. And I'm yeah just, they're all I'm, just like that. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I'm, <laughs> you're setting me up here, and I don't appreciate it. It's not, why do you think this is all about you? Well, not me, but this, I'm, a, I'm involved. It's going to be some, some negative stuff, I'm ah, sure. How do you know? Yeah, okay. Why? 
Uh, Mitch, your interview with Jack Sigma was fantastic. Did you catch the interview on episode 95? I really Jack I enjoyed it. I Did thought it really? was great, yeah. He's great. He's, he's, so, he's such a humble guy. He's, he's really, a Hall of Famer. He's really humble. Yeah. He's not particularly comfortable with the interview setting. Okay. So you have to, you know, he's, he, he, he tightens up a little bit. Your interview with Jack Sigma was fantastic. I've heard him interviewed several times, and he always seems uncomfortable. And yet, when he's on with you, he's relaxed and sharing his dry humor. So here's my question, Mitch. Why do you do all the real-life stuff? There are a million Sigmas out there, and yet you choose to have the coach from North Carolina on bumming us out and a guy who got eaten by a grizzly bear. (laughs) Who knew he got eaten and he could still talk? He's talking from the belly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't get it. Signed, Paul. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what he's saying. A million sigmas, like local guys? No, or? he's saying that there's a million interviews like Sigma out there, and yet I choose to do segments of real life stuff oh, that I he see. doesn't want to hear. Stick to sports. It's a stick, stick to, to sports. sports. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. But I mean, the, the guy was a coach, so that's sports, right? Is that what he's talking yeah, about? Yeah, but we were talking about yeah, his right, coaching. Gotcha. We were talking about his players. All we were right. talking about his, his dealings with ra- racial profiling in the cops. All right, so outside of sports one, sports one. All right, I'm keeping track. And, and tell me, by the way, when we're finished with this, everybody who's listening to this, put yourself in our shoes and see if you can arrive at a conclusion as to what's <laughs> best. Yes, Feed, feedback's Dear always Mitch, helpful. I'm going to put my glasses on for this one. Speaking of old. Uh, good Lord. No, no, no. Go ahead. Gonna... I've enjoyed hearing you back on the airwaves and in this new format, your podcasts are always of interest and a good mix of humor. When things return to some version of normality, I hope you continue to provide a mix in your format. Sports and perhaps interesting takes on important events, current and past. This may upset some of your more rabid sports fans, but perhaps this is a time we all think a bit outside the box and what's currently going on in Seattle and nationwide. He go, goes on to write this. My, my son lives on the south end of Capitol Hill, not far from Chaz, and comes home late at night from work at Boeing and Renton. Some months ago, when I heard of a shooting that occurred in that very field across from SCCC, where the protesters are now congregating and a man lost his life, I quickly called my son just to ensure he was safe and okay. As a parent, I worry about his safety in Seattle constantly. Even though he's white and does not have to live with the day-to-day fear of being targeted or unjustly treated by law enforcement, I'm trying to dig deeper within myself to fully appreciate the day-to-day injustice that so many have had to live with and still find some common ground for moving forward a new way of our police force protecting justly without completely putting at risk normal law and order. I have mixed emotions about it all and continue to search. Black lives do matter. And for too long, my generation has stood by and remained silent, accepted it just as part of the mix in this complicated world. James and Paul's bow. Another James. Is that James? Yeah, that's James. Here's another James. James in Phoenix writes, Mitch. Phoenix. Please talk sports and stop with trying to convince your audience that you care about anything else. Wow. No one listens to your non-sports. We all fast forward, so stop wasting your time. Okay, then. Wow. Mitch, and this was just uh, a portion of a long note from Joe. Normally, when I listen to sports radio, I do not want to listen to the host tell me about subjects other than sports. With you, that's not the case. I actually enjoy the stories about your dad, movie mogul Max, and whatever other subjects you bring up. You have a knack for making me forget about what I'm doing and really getting into the story. 
Signed, Joe. It's very nice. Mitch, <laughs> just wanted to write how terrific your give and take with Hotshot is. Oh. You guys have really found a nice rhythm, which I appreciate. Frank in Seattle. I'm known for my rhythm. Yeah, yeah. great. Uh, dear Mitch, the <laughs> podcast is entertaining, but your chemistry with Scott is lacking. Bring Jason back. Oh, here we go. Yeah. And they, those were back-to-back <laughs> emails right? in my inbox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was from Sam. Okay, thanks, Sam. Mitch, you were overrated on the radio, oh. and this little comeback attempt is desperate and uninteresting. Really? They, they, they felt they compelled to tell you that? Holy shit, that's awful. You may have some people fooled about your lack of sports knowledge, but not me. Go back to Florida. I mean, but to be fair, <laughs> that could have been an email from 1995 as well. So, I mean, oh. you've probably been getting those your whole life, right? Oh, dear. From Chad, Mitch. Thank you. I appreciate the work you do. I listened for so long that every podcast is like a throwback for me, and I enjoy the non-sports stuff as well. A couple things have have crossed my mind since you asked for feedback. Oh, boy, here we go. Swearing. Oh, I just did it. Actually okay with most of it doesn't bother me. What bothers me is when you or Scott, and I'm going to emphasize Scott, use the Lord's name as an expression like saying Jesus or Jesus Christ. It's hard for me when I'm enjoying a conversation to stay listening to your podcast when Scott does that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> well, I don't think, do I use Jesus and Jesus Christ? I I've, Have you heard me say that? I, I didn't think that I used that. I haven't before. noticed that if you do. Yeah, I, I know you do. I know I do. Yeah. And I've when heard, you're laughing, you'll go, Jesus. I've, <laughs> I've, I've heard laugh. that feedback in the yeah. past yeah. Uh, from one of the, the 12-year-old who said it on that. Yeah, yeah. So I am trying to be conscious of it. And sometimes I say G's, like G- J-E-Z. Well, that's fine. I don't think he's going to. Right. So he might be hearing that too. But yeah. I, I, if that offends people, I can completely stop it. And finally, Mitch, I listened to your podcast for sports first. However, I have also really enjoyed when you venture into other areas. It actually helps me be more up to date on current events. It was good to hear both sides of the George Floyd tragedy. One of the interviews I found very interesting was Stephen Elliott. His book was great. There have been so many great interviews. Looking forward to the next 95 shows. One last thing. (laughs) Movie Mogul Max is fun, and you and Scott are really good together. (laughs) Becky Thomas. Thank you, Oh, that's nice, Becky. Now, why don't you roll your eyes when uh, the next 95 shows? You can't picture the next Why do you have to (laughs) tell people that I rolled my eyes? Picturing 95 more shows did something to you there. (laughs) Are we really doing 95 more? Whose name can I take in vain, then, if I can't take his Lord and Savior's name? I I got to figure out something else to say here. I don't know. Just well, yeah. You go, Mitch. That's true. I could. Son of a Mitch. I don't know. Now, is that all for the emails? Well, that's all I'm reading. I got. I've got more. I've got more nasty ones. I'll read some of the nast, more nasty ones to, uh, next week, or on on what 96p. I, maybe I just don't have that. Tez P. I don't have that gene. But if there's something I don't like, a TV show or a radio, what show was your favorite podcast, of, the, of this batch? I don't. I kind of like. I only, there's two of them that I like. Well, the guy in Phoenix. That was a kind of a bizarre one. Well, the the, guy you, your your attempted oh, comeback. Please talk sports. You, you, stop trying to convince your audience. No, that's not him. That's not Phoenix. Oh, okay. He says no one listens to your non-sports. We all fast forward through the non-sports segments, so stop wasting your time. Okay. You mean um, 
I don't know the guy's name. I didn't even put the guy's name. You were overrated on the radio, yeah. and this little comeback attempt is desperate and uninteresting. <laughs> you may have some people fooled about your lack of sports knowledge, but not me. Go back to Florida. I kind of like that one. I don't know why I like yeah. that one. <laughs> I mean, but which is it? You, you don't know sports or you're uninteresting? Or is it a combination, a combination of, of both? But the better question is, how do you know that the podcast is uninteresting <laughs> right. unless you're listening to it? That's and right. why in the world are you listening to it? Right, right. Or is somebody telling you, hey, Mitch has got an uninteresting and shitty podcast? Yeah, like every, I don't know. every Tuesday Maybe morning. Maybe he's the one star guy on, uh, on uh, he could Apple be. Podcasts. Every Tuesday know. morning he gets a, a briefing from someone who listens, <laughs> listens for it. Yeah, Mitch sucked again. It was awful. Uh, Here you go. I think we should do this more. I love the emails. I yeah. love the, and if anybody wants to send it, and by the way, I wrote a note to the patrons the other day, and I'll say it now on this, this free episode 96, episode Tez. I'll say it again. When I say that Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, that I love the comments, I love the feedback, I really do. I, I'm not asking for people to pat me on the back. I really, it, it's very nice and it's accepted and I can yeah. take a, I'm learning how to take a compliment and I appreciate it greatly. But this is not me saying I want, you know, kiss-ass emails. Yeah, I don't. I'm not begging I wanted, for affirmation No, here, I just, yeah. I, what I'd like is, hey, this was good, this wasn't good, or here's what I'd like more of, or here's my view on this that you missed, or here's a side to the story that you made. You know, here's an opinion that you may not... Con- I'd love, I, and I'd love to include, it might... What are you shaking I'm just your, thinking about the why guy. Why are you shaking your head? <laughs> the guy who wrote you and said this little comeback attempt is lame. The but, fact of the matter is... <laughs> how did he get your email address if he doesn't listen? He listens. <laughs> But the best part of that is, if you took one word out of it, it wouldn't be nearly as good. Okay. The word little. Yeah, right. The it's word little. Demeaning. You're o- if, say, I'll read it. You're overrated. You were overrated on the radio, and this comeback attempt is desperate and uninteresting. That'd be good. But it's this little comeback attempt. This, yep. Oh, it's just a, yep. just a shot. It diminishes everything this we're doing. This little yeah, comeback yeah. attempt. Boy, you were on the radio 23 years. That's pretty yeah. good for being overrated. Well. You had them all fooled for 23 oh, years. No. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, three pretty good interviews. <laughs> uh, let me think. Are they all about sports? <laughs> People, you don't have to fast forward. Sam Smith talking about the, the Jordan rules yeah. and what he thought of the series. What he thought of the, the Jordan series. And he, he thinks that there were some outright lies, is all I'm going to tell you. Great. Outright, like one huge one in particular that really bothers him, that he knows for certain was an absolute, undeniable, 100% lie by Michael Jordan. Oh, by Michael Jordan. By okay. Michael Jordan. It's just a huge fabrication of the truth he knows from firsthand that it's a, it's a lie. So you'll hear Great. him. And so that's sports, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and then the baseball draft. Some might say baseball's not sports, but I don't know. It's sports, yeah. I like the baseball draft. I like the fact the Mariners got a new 97-mile-an-hour yeah. uh, Brandon Morrow on their hands. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> we'll do three segments. Then you and I will come back and do some other stuff. We're going to do our little other stuff segment. You know, just that, that little segment we do. You know, after 25 years of being quiet, all of a sudden he's become a regular guest on Mitch Unfiltered. Here he is, the CEO of Daniels Broiler, Lindsay Schwartz. Lindsay, how'd the first week go at Leshi? You know, it was amazing, just the support from the community and from our loyal guests. It's been incredible. I mean, we, we've had really every seat, you know, under the limited capacity that we can do since the night we opened. 
um, and done lots of takeout and delivery, too. So it's been great. Any Vuv Clico left? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, we were closed for, uh, what, almost three months. And so we, we, uh, we have plenty that we weren't selling at that time. But it's going fast, I'll tell you what. I see it at many of the tables. I see a bottle of Vuv and uh, with lots of the to-go orders since we can sell it to-go now. So that's been a lot of fun to see. $40 bottles, which normally goes... For how much? It's normally 145. I think last week I said 125, but the normal price is 145. So it's a pretty special deal, and uh, we wanted to make it 40 since it's our 40-year anniversary. So that's what we did. Remind us what extra precautions you guys are taking within the restaurant to make this not only a wonderful night out but a safe one too, Lindsay. Sure. I mean, we're following all of the CDC guidelines. We're working with the Washington State Department of Health, so we're doing all the minimum things you need to do, and then we're doing even more. All the social distancing measures, all of the tables, uh, we've pulled tables out, and so all tables are at least six feet apart. Uh, We have stickers on the floor, like you see at, you know, grocery stores and other retailers, so when you come to check in, we keep uh, parties checking in at least six feet apart. We have special sanitation measures in place. Every half hour we sweep through the entire restaurant and sanitize all the common area spaces. Obviously, we sanitize each table in between seatings. We're all wearing masks and gloves. Everything that that we can do and all the best practices out there, and we've paid attention to what what restaurants are doing across the country and even around the world, and making sure that that, we're doing it to the gold standard. So we feel good about it. And with the successful reopening of Les Shy, I understand that the reality of a return of Lake Union in Bellevue could be coming shortly, right? That's right. We're tentatively shooting for opening Bellevue on June 26th and Lake Union June 27th. So both in the same week. We're really hopeful that we'll be in phase two at that point, and that'll give us more seating, which would help a lot. Uh, so that's the tentative plan right now, and, and uh, it looks really likely that that's when we would reopen those two stores. Which also means delivery on the east side becomes available. That's right. That's right. And based on the success that we're having at Leshai with delivery, uh, it, and we know we're turning people away, or DoorDash is turning people away on the east side. So it seems like uh, there's a lot of demand for that. So we're trying to get that up and going as soon as possible. But yes, we will be open for uh, delivery and takeout. There he is, Lindsey Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broilers. Finally, some good news along the way with uh, Leshai going strong at 25% inside, 50% outside, and the return coming to the Bellevue and Lake Union locations. Daniel's Broiler, our pals, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. MVP for his amazing offensive skills finds himself on the defensive as a book entitled The Jordan Rules hits the streets this week. It details an alleged double standard in Chicago regarding Jordan and his teammates. We went through a, a heck of a season last last year. We achieved a lot, and now uh, we feel someone's coming in and trying to to you know make money off of that whole situation of our joy that we went through last year and, and doing it in a dirty way. 
As I watched the Last Dance series about Michael Jordan, I found myself wanting to know more of what Sam Smith thought of the series and Jordan's recollection of different events. Sam was featured in the series and is the best-selling author of The Jordan Rules way back in 1992. I can't believe that it's already 28 years ago after covering the team like a blanket for the Chicago Tribune. Here's Sam Smith on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Sure. Good to talk to you. I know that you took exception with some of the factual looseness of the reminiscing. Overall, in balance, what did you think of the series? Overall, I thought it was terrific. Um, you know, I don't think it was supposed to be uh, exact, accurate, historical record. I, I think it was supposed to be, you know, a lot of people have told the Bulls story and Michael, particularly Michael's story. And so this was a chance for Michael to tell, you know, his story his way, the way we see it, he sees that everybody sees their own story. You know, that's why, you know, journalists or detectives on the TV shows ask uh, like eight witnesses instead of just one. Everybody's usually the hero of their own story, which is normal. That's, you know, human response. So um, I thought the great, you know, the really great part was, you know, for the people, you know, fans and public to see Michael in that relaxed sort of atmosphere uh, that we were familiar with him in the 80s before the celebrity uh, grew so out of proportion. And, you know, of course, 25, 30 years later, with 22, whatever the case is, you're going to have varying uh, memories of what occurred or you saw it in your perspective. So, you know, the, difference, the, the only thing I objected to that I thought was wrong and unfair, because it was, it was inaccurate, was it, where Michael's sort of postscript was, well, we should have had a chance to come back and uh, play, defend our championship, go for the seventh, uh, one more season. And um, that just that just wasn't the way it was by far. And I understood that that was, he said that for the dramatic aspect of it, you know, the, the 10 part, the story to start was the last dance. So, you know, they were being broken up forcefully. And that absolutely wasn't true. He, he walked away of his own volition, did not want to play in 98, 99, was asked several times to withhold his decision, uh, wait, you know, maybe Phil Jackson will change his mind, maybe Pippen. Nope, absolutely, I'm not playing. So I knew that to be flawed view of things. And the other things were sort of peccadillos, minor, but the, he, he definitely was burned out, much like 93 when he left, um, did not want to play again. And, and, and when he did come back in Washington, it was really – you know, a, a agreement that if he played, it would help his uh, equity stake in the Wizards. It, it wasn't so much that he was dying to play. So I, I thought that was a little misleading. But, you know, like Michael, Michael always makes for a great story, and that made that made for a better story. <laughs> Sam, you, uh, you're referring, I think, to the, to the conversation between Jordan and Jerry Reinsdorf over that seventh season where, where Mike, or that chance for the seventh, where Michael made clear that he would not come back. You just said you know why he did it because it's more dramatic that way all these years later. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I see it that way. I think there's something charming about someone going out on top and not taking the chance of, of coming back, just deciding I've had enough, I've proven all that I can prove, and I'm walking away. That change all these years later is that hurtful to some, or does that not does that not damage the reputation of others who might have liked them to go for a seventh? Uh, no, I think it's a great point you make, and and, and it's sort of contradictory. 
uh, fans are always begging all these great stars, whether it's, you know, Joe Namath or Willie Mays, you know, why couldn't you have quit on top, have our last memory? And, you know, what, what a spectacular last memory. And in fact, Jordan posed for that last shot, that, you know, on the road, basically like posed for a statue, right. you know, it was, right. the, it was the ultimate conclusion of his career. But yet, you know, the public narrative all these years is uh, has been blaming the Bulls. Oh, they forced Jordan out. They gave him a chance to defend, you know, defend what is ours sort of thing. You know, so I thought, you know, back then, I thought it was a fitting conclusion that, that, that they ended on top. They were able to basically walk away, you know, Rocky Marciano, the undefeated champion, and, yeah. and uh, you know, have a debate about that. But you know, the public, you know, media view and, and, and emphasized in that the documentary was, hey, why didn't they let them have another chance? Sam Smith's the best-selling author of uh, of the book, The Jordan Rules. I, I, For my money, nobody told the story better than Sam did back 20, 28 so years ago. Some of the little things that you took exception to that you don't think are a big deal that I think some might find interest in, the poison pizza story in Salt Lake City, that never made sense to me only because – why would anybody ordering a pizza from Michael Jordan at that time even put his name on the order? Why, why wouldn't one of his handlers put the name, their own name on it so nobody would know? It, just the whole thing didn't make a lot of sense, and I know that you've said subsequently there's no way, there's no truth to that, that he was poisoned by that pizza in Salt Lake City, Sam. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny, but like you know, like we were saying before, it sort of makes for a better story with, with the conspiracy. Oh, you know, they're out to get Jordan and all that stuff. Of course, my joke was, you know, they got the wrong guy. You know, Rodman was the guy they should have gotten. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was blasting Mormons and, you know, he was nuts. And, yeah. you know, the pizza went to the wrong room. You know, but the you know, the funny part about it was, you know, he got a, the story was told, you know, flew everybody, you know, was accepted that. And he was sick. There was no question he was ill. I mean, you know, there was fever, whatever, chills, flu, you know, and so it was always talked about as the flu game. And, and it was like settled. And then all of a sudden it came back with a new story, which didn't make any sense. So, you know, that was sort of the funny part. Yeah, We had heard from the doctors back then, which they kind of – you know, I think it didn't sound uh, Jordan-like enough that, that he had altitude sickness because right. you know, they kept commuting back and forth. They were staying up in Park City, which is quite a bit higher than the valley in Salt Lake. And they were practicing in Salt Lake, driving back to Park City, driving back for the game, back and forth. So, And there were some other players that had similar symptoms. So that's what they thought it really was at the time. You know, and then but everybody said, yeah, flu, that yeah, it could have been. That made sense. So, <laughs> but then they came up with this whole other thing, which was kind of like you say, yeah. you know, kind of goofy. All, all of a sudden they said, well, yeah, yeah, let's have Jordan get a pizza. You know, the, the guy who's the most protected, you know, maybe you know, except a pope or something. Sam Smith is our guest. What do you believe, Sam, is the truth behind the Isaiah Thomas being left off the dream team again? It seems very important all these years later for the present day Michael Jordan to have people believe that he did not give Rod Thorne the ultimatum. Yeah, yeah. What, I, what I think happened, a couple elements. I, I don't think Michael said, he, him or me, there's perspective to that. First of all, he didn't want to play in the first place. Um, he wanted the time off at 91. He was getting worn out, you, you know, the celebrity uh, gambling things and everything. And he wanted that summer off, uh, 92. 
and he was talking about, I played in 84, it's time for others to have a chance. Well, you can't have the dream team without Michael Jordan. They knew that. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to, the committee's trying to think of ways to make sure Jordan will, you know, so so I think they did it just on their own, you know, to make a presentation of Jordan. Because look at the players on that team. There were a lot of players that didn't like each other. Carl Malone had openly said, you know, nobody should be playing with Magic Johnson because he got HIV. He said he didn't want to play with Magic Johnson. Guarantee you Magic Johnson and Carl Malone didn't spend 10 minutes together during that whole time. You know, John Stockton wasn't going to be hanging out with Michael Jordan. So this notion of you know, Isaiah on the team, you know, I couldn't stand it and all that. But I, I think the committee in trying to come up with various entreaties to Jordan used that as one. But the other part was Michael carrying on this great rivalry with the Pistons and Isaiah, you know, and I, I you know, we loved that, that the rivalry. I think he wanted Isaiah to, to know or to believe that he kept him off, even though I don't think he did personally, because I think that was sort of a Michael kind of trash talk, you know, so that all these years later, let Isaiah screw over the fact that he thinks I kept him off, but I, I don't really think he did. And I think Michael, you know, hey, he didn't even like his teammates half the time. He didn't play with anybody. <laughs> Scotty Pippen has been described, Sam, as livid with the way he was portrayed in the series. Do you think his gripe is fair? Uh, yes and no. You know, Scotty, he, obviously everybody was sort of taken aback when they brought up the 1.8 thing, and he said, I'd do it again. But, you know, that's sort of Scotty in, in his sort of defiance and stubbornness, which made him a great player. You know, that's part of, that's part of the... DNA of Scotty that made him great. That he, he, you know, he he was willing to take things on and accept things and do things others wouldn't and and recover from. Uh, but yeah, I think he had a point in the sense of the 1.8 thing was played up a lot, and Jordan wasn't even on the team that season. So, you know, it was sort of like what you you know the other things he had the famous trash talk thing with Carl Malone in the 91 the 97th game one. Uh, mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday and Carl misses two free throws, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that was left out completely. So, you know, it was sort of interesting, you know, all these years later, I think you see the internal relations of the team that, yeah. you know, Scotty's upset and Horace's upset and Craig Hodges is upset and Ron Harper, you know, and so yet they, they, they were always able to get a, get past all that and, and essentially be, you know, undefeated in their era. You know, we talked a lot about the show, as did all other radio shows and podcasts. It was as it was running. We had nothing else to talk about. And what I said, Sam, was the only thing that bothered me a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, not a lot, just a tiny bit, was that here is a middle-aged Michael Jordan, what, 57 years old? I think he's a grandfather now. There's not a man or woman on the planet that doesn't extol his virtues, including every single star basketball player that was on that series. And yet, he still seems pained to give a genuine compliment to any of these opponents that stand in line to blow smoke up his rear. No compliments really for Barkley. No compliments for Peyton. No compliments for Clyde Drexler, whoever. It would be so simple for Michael Jordan, who sits at the top of the heap. No one, no one disputes that, including those guys, to say, hey, Gary Payton was a hell of a defensive player. And, you know, I had my hands full when we when we played against him in the NBA Finals. Or, you know, Clyde, I mean, Clyde Drexler doesn't say a bad word about anybody. Why do you think, is it just in his character 
that Michael Jordan can't deliver just a genuine compliment to somebody else. It's part. I, I think it's part of the formula of separating yourself and being the greatest. Yeah, it doesn't make the great humanity a lot. And, and the truth is a lot of great players are like that. Uh, they're so competitive that it's difficult for them to accept acknowledging others. But how about at 57? Um, how about th- 30 years later? I can understand that when they're playing, but how about when they're a middle-aged 57-year-old speaking to the camera at that at that point to soften and say some nice things about others? That's what I would ask. Not who he is. And I think, you know, to me, I, I actually, I, I like that because it was like his Hall of Fame speech. He 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 was honest, showing who he is. He He wasn't saying what people wanted to hear what was politically correct what he should have said mm-hmm. he said hey this is me like me or not maybe you don't like me i mean a lot of, you, know, you can see there's not going to be many reunions among those bulls teams <laughs> you know those players aren't you know thrilled with each other all the time uh but that was also their strength how they could get past it in their professionalism and i actually respected that about michael in that sense maybe i wouldn't like it if i was his friends or something but the point was hey you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna compete with you, and I'm not gonna give you anything, and I'm and I'm not gonna let you off the floor. I'm gonna keep my fist on your on your throat the whole time. And he was basically saying, "This is who I am. Like me or not, too bad." Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think I think I think he did everybody a favor by saying, "Look, you know, I'm I'm pulling the curtain back. Maybe you like me." That's like the interview he did with uh, I think it was Good Morning America before he started. He, he you know he said right away he said, oh, "I think a lot of people are not gonna like me about this." Well, of course, that's not the case. You know, he's a beloved figure, but also he revealed himself uh, more openly. And then, frankly, that's what a lot of people always ask for. They say, hey, stop being us and tell, you know, tell us the truth. He said, OK, I told you the truth. <laughs> Sam, before you finish up, let's go back 28 years ago when you wrote the book. It was really the first time that the public saw the harsh side of Jordan's personality and interaction with teammates. Thinking back up upon it now, were we all, was the public ready to look at him that way back in 92, 93? I think he said, I think you said to him after it came out, look, if you have any issues with me, I'm here. You can let me know. Well, obviously they weren't ready because they were very mad at me <laughs> so, uh, a lot at the time. I think over the years, I've been, I've been pleased that people looked at it and said, you know, what was the big deal? You know, he's competitive. He's driven and all this sort of stuff and you know that's part of leadership it's not about being liked it's about uh pushing people so on and so forth yada yada whatever um but at the time you know it, it conflicted with his marketing image that was you know it wasn't really so much his doing you know falk and pro served a brilliant magnificent job in his marketing you know and he was just being carried along with it you know he he, he was into basketball that's that's what he wanted to do he wanted to compete he wanted to feature he wanted to talk about it and you know around it they built him up as this figure who wasn't exactly quite him you know because you know his nature as a player is like you you talked about you know with refusing to you know all these years later still saying you know gary payton's a joke he didn't you know he couldn't defend me or whatever you know who, you know or clyde drexler or, or how dare they give the mvp to carl malone instead of me you know all these crazy things that you'd say well like you said 30 years later uh, who cares you know but uh, you know people i think came to accept that but at the time he, he was built up as this sort of 
image of perfection, you know, America, what we consider American perfection, which is sort of, which is fiction, obviously, uh, you know, the perfect guy next door, he was delivering the kids in the, the treehouse, bringing them the Coca-Cola, endorsing all the ideal products, uh, you know, Chevrolet and uh, apple pie, whatever. And, and, uh, and then you had all his, you know, supporters, you know, these North Carolina people saying, Oh, greatest guy ever, you know, perfect guy. And he wasn't, you know, but nobody is. And so it took me by surprise because, you know, I had sort of been with him for six, six or seven years by then and saw, you know, saw this appealing character really liked him fun to be around, but you know, hard, not a, and I say hardly perfect, not criminal in any way, but could be difficult and challenging and, 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 you know, like with teammates, you know, insulting in some cases and people were appalled. They said, well, that's not the Michael Jordan I know. Well, you know, the Michael Jordan, you know, is partially through image creation on Madison Avenue or mm-hmm. advertising and, and that's not reality. Mm-hmm. So, it's sort of my actually my naive thinking was well I'll just write what happened I'll just say exactly what it is and people will be okay with that because that's the truth and and in a lot of in most occasions we find out people would like their version of the truth as opposed to the actual yeah. truth so it was received initially in a hostile way but at the same time they were succeeding in winning so people get, sort of got to evolve to accept that, well, you know, maybe it's okay because it's not affecting them uh, on the court. So, you know, I think they, you know, became to uh, accept that that's, you know, possible to succeed despite this kind of behavior. How, how would you characterize your relationship with him? How did he treat you on a professional level after the book came out in the years after? He treated me great, really. I still to this day are surprised, you know, because I see what goes on with players today with Kyrie Irving or Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, where they you know, get abusive with people who question them or write something. And, you know, this book was viewed at the time very critically. I didn't think it was. I didn't. You know, I thought a lot was taken out of context, whatever. But, you know, journalists, people, media always says that. But. You know, if, if I would, if he if he wanted to start something with me like Westbrook does, that kind of stuff, he starts with media. He, he, I have no chance. Nobody's taken my side, but Michael Jordan of all people, uh, the success he has and the popularity. But he treated me always professionally, always with respect. You know, we weren't close anymore. We didn't chat and uh, didn't have a sort of a friendly bantering relationship like we did. But he asked, always answered my questions professionally. He would say, "Oh yeah, Sam, good point." Just like just like he would with anybody else. And so, you know, Michael is somebody you know has respect for institutions, has respect for people, but he doesn't always have respect for his competitors. <laughs> competitors. <laughs> but as far as my relationship with him, I I was very grateful that at a time when, I mean, I really thought you know he was going to attack me and sue me and who knows what. People with a lot of money can just drag you into court. And, you know, even though they're wrong, they could make you pay lawyers fees and all sorts of stuff. And uh, there was never any any suggestion, any hint. In fact, to this day, I've seen him. And uh, you know, I, ha- I don't, wouldn't say I have a good relationship with him, but I run across him in Charlotte a couple of times. And, you know, we chatted, joked around. He, you know, he said, uh, you know, I see you sold out. You're with the Bulls website now, you know, so joking around a little bit. <laughs> I appreciated that he handled it in a mature, 
respectful way, despite this incredible level of attention that I couldn't imagine anybody else enduring. It's really been remarkable to me. I know people pick at him about this or that, but the way he's handled uh, this celebrity, and 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 a lot of times he he was probably the world's most famous person. I mean, mean, it's a a really, I don't want to call it a burden because, you know, there was great benefits from it. Uh, but I think he's handled that celebrity as well as anybody ever has. It remains one of the best sports books ever written. 1992, The Jordan Rules by Sam Smith, a guest of ours here on Mitch Unfiltered. Sam, it's great to catch up with you after all these years. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I wish you nothing but the best. All right, thanks. Good to talk to you. Best-selling author Sam Smith, The Jordan Rules, still one of the greatest sports books ever No one knows the real scoop of Michael Jordan, maybe even better than Jordan himself based on the series, than the great Sam Smith. It's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen, to be joined by Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. We are in phase 1.5, Jordan. What does that mean to your office and what kind of business are you guys doing? You know, Mitch, it is just incredibly busy right now, both with uh, refinances and rates staying low, uh, as well as the purchase market is actually really heating up right now. Talk to me more. Tell me about that purchase market. Yeah, it is a great time uh, to be a seller. Home prices continue to actually rise. Uh, Every client I'm working with right now seems to be going in on multiple offers, which means for sellers, they're getting lots of offers and price escalations. So, Anybody out there that was thinking of selling, uh, we work with some of the top agents in the Seattle market. We'd be happy to connect you with them. But it is a great time for people to be selling right now. And so if I'm buying or if I'm looking for a refinance, the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage, are you guys now in the offices? Where do I call? How do I find you? What do I do? Same uh, back channel. We are in the office. All of our loan officers are coming in and are in on a weekly basis. So you can get a hold of myself or anybody in the office to talk about rates. It is uh, quick and painless. Probably about five minutes of just information gathering and giving you an idea of what might work. For buyers, it's more of a consult and figuring out what your strategy is and what you're trying to achieve, whether it's their primary residence or another home in Washington. So great time to be looking at buying with the Fed keeping rates low through potentially 2022. What are we looking at now? for 30-year fixeds? Just depending on all the scenarios, you're looking high twos, low threes for the most part. Cash out refinances might be a little higher, but it's a great time and low interest rates for sure. What's the phone number? Office line is 425-250-3145 or 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers and his all-star team at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, they're really ramping things up as interest rates are down. Uh, Selling opportunities are up. Uh, Refinance opportunities are up. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. With the first pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Detroit Tigers select Spencer Torkelson, a third baseman from Arizona State University. With the sixth pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Seattle Mariners select Emerson Hancock, a right-handed pitcher from the University of Georgia. Episode Tez, episode 96, and I gotta say, there have not been many Mitch Unfiltered episodes, have there, with a baseball flair. But this one certainly seems to be in that vein. While the June MLB amateur draft never does or will get the kind of treatment 
that the NFL and NBA versions receive still the most significant piece to long-term health in baseball organizations is the draft, the June draft. Jim Callis, senior writer, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, an absolute jewel when it comes to coverage and knowledge of the draft. Jim, it's so nice to have you back on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, You know me, I'm, I'm always ready to talk draft. <laughs> All you have to do is wind me up, and I can talk draft for a while, and I'm always glad to do it. All right, so I'm winding you up. What's the conclusion of this year's class? Is there a Mike Trout? Are there a ton of future All-Stars? Or is it much harder to say because we didn't get any real chance to watch these guys play last year? Um, I'll address all, all three of those points. Um, one, I don't think there's a Mike Trout because I think that maybe comes around once in a lifetime type of thing. But um, Spencer Torkelson, who went number one overall, the Tigers, unbelievable combination of not just power, but hitting ability and play discipline. I had guys tell me numerous scouts might be the best offensive player to come out of the draft in about 20 years. So that, that, that's point one. Two, the draft as a whole, very strong. You know, last year, I don't care if we talked last year, but if we did, I would have told you worst group of pitching prospects, college pitching prospects I could remember in terms of guys who belonged at the top of the draft. Probably in the 30 years I've been doing this. This year's one of the best. College pitching prospects, very deep. College hitters, deeper than usual. High school class, I'd say at least average. You know, I don't think it stands out like the college guys do, but it's not, like, bad. It's just the college crop was so good. I, I really think this is going to be one of the – I mean, it's just the first year of the decade, but probably one of the, the two or three best drafts of the 2020s when all is said and done. And three, you know, obviously very unusual spring, games canceled, all that type of stuff. But teams did not fly as blind as I think a lot of fans maybe thought they did because so much of your scouting is done the previous summer, especially on the high school guys. When they're playing in showcases against the best of the best, it's a much better read on guys, especially hitters, when they're facing the best competition. And then you get college players playing in summer leagues with wood bats. So, even though it wasn't ideal, uh, you know, and you would have liked a lot more looks, more data, the teams had a pretty good feel for these guys. It's next year that I'm going to be curious about, Mitch, if, you know, I don't know what the summer's going to entail, but, like, how many showcases and how many summer leagues are we really going to get? A lot right. of them have been canceled. Right. Teams might have a lot less information on players going into next year than they did coming into this one. Ah, interesting. So 2021 will be impacted more than 2020. Normally, Jim, what, 1,200 players are drafted, and this year something around 160. What happens to all these other guys? I guess they're essentially free agents. It's a free-for-all. Is that good for the players? Is that good for the good teams, the bad teams? Who benefits in this weird system? It's, ter it's, it's terrible. It's terrible because in past years with undrafted players – you could sign them for up to $125,000 in a winning count against your bonus pool. And if you had money left over in your bonus pool, you know, each team has a bonus pool that they get for the draft. If they exceed by more than 5%, they lose future first-round picks. So everybody adheres to their pool. But in the past, you, if you had leftover money in your pool, you could spend it on free agents. This year, no. You can only give guys $20,000, which is terrible. You know, a year ago, 395 players got six-figure bonuses after the fifth round. This year, all those guys can sign for $20,000. I do think some will sign. They're cutting back the minor leagues. Who knows what, you know, like I just said, next year's going to look like. You know, if the coronavirus comes back with a vengeance in the offseason, are we, are we going to have much college baseball next year? We don't know. So I think you will see some guys sign for $20,000, but it's going to be a free-for-all. And 
I think in terms of, of how players, you know, when they decide to sign, make their decision, you know, I, I think some people will be emotional. Hey, I want to play for my favorite team or I want to play for a, a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or my hometown team, you know, something like that. You, you may choose to sign. Like a lot of these guys have close relationships with particular area scouts. Some of them work with scouts. And you, and you sign with the guy who's been loyal to you and help you out. I mean, if you were making, I think, the best decision without emotion involved, Honestly, I would probably look at two factors. One, how good an organization is at developing players, you know, and particularly the type of player that you would be. And two, what the opportunities are in that organization in terms of how strong the minor league system is and your opportunities for advancement. Jim Callis is with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Obviously, lots of long-suffering Mariners fans, Jim, in our audience. Six picks in five rounds. Emerson Hancock is the marquee selection, the sixth overall a right-handed pitcher out of the University of Georgia. We're going to have his pitching coach on here shortly on this episode. Three pitchers, three position players, all college kids. What'd you think? Well, you you may not know this, Mitch, and I'm giving you an objective opinion, but but I am also a Georgia grad. I, ah. I guess Emerson probably hasn't graduated yet, but ah. like I, I know I know of Emerson Hancock quite well. I mean, I would anyway as a first-round pick, but big Emerson Hancock fan. I really like this pick. If you're the Mariners coming into the year, you know, we had Emerson Hancock ranked as the top prospect in the draft coming into the season. And if you're the Mariners coming into the year, picking six, you would have said, ah, we're not going to have a shot at Emerson Hancock. You know, this was a deep draft. You know, there were probably six or seven guys who, who were on the top tier of players behind Spencer Torkelson. So the Mariners knew they were going to get a good one. Hancock was not quite as sharp this year as he had been in the past, but I actually talked to people who felt like, to be honest, they had kind of an easy part of the schedule at the beginning of the season, like a lot of these teams do before they got into SEC play, and the SEC is the best college baseball league in the country. And you might even ask Sean Kenny this when you had him on. A lot of guys who watched him felt like he was almost tuning up against some of the lesser teams on their non-conference schedule, working on things. The slider wasn't as sharp as it had been. He, he was working on other things, treating it like spring training. You know, this guy was the best pitcher in the country at the beginning of last year. He gave up eight runs and ten starts. He had a mild lat issue and missed a couple starts and came back. I, he, he reminds me a lot, to be honest, Mitch, of Casey Mize, who was the number one overall pick in 2018. They, they kind of the same build. Um, they both came from the SEC. They both missed a little bit of time during that sophomore season. Yamai's missed a couple starts too. And they combine stuff with polish. You know, like, you know, some of the guys you, you see, you know, go high in the draft, you know, are big time fastballs but can't always command it. And other guys, you know, like, you know, maybe like a Reed Detmers who went 10th to the Angels. He doesn't have big time stuff, but he's a lot of polish. And, and Hancock has both, just like Casey Mize did. It's, you know, he can pitch 94 97. You know, up to 99, you know, some teams knock. Like, I don't know if his fastball metrics are quite as sexy as some other guys, but it's a good fastball, and he commands it really well. He, he's got a slider that he can manipulate into curveball times. That was not as sharp this year, and, he, and he's got a changeup that, that with a lot of fade, and he commands it well, and it can be a well-above-average pitch at times. Um, so, I mean, I'm looking at a guy who's got – you know, three pitches that can be plus pitches. You know, the curveball, you know, isn't bad either. Sometimes they're better than plus, and he throws them all for strikes. He's really athletic. So, I mean, I, I really, really like this pick. I mean, it, as much as I like 
Logan Gilbert, who I think is kind of one of the more underrated pitching prospects in baseball for the Mariners, you know, first-round pick a couple years ago. I don't do our Mariners list, so I guess I don't have to figure this out precisely. <laughs> but, like, I mean, in my mind, he's a better pitching prospect than Logan Gilbert. He, he was definitely a better pitching prospect than Logan Gilbert coming out of college at the same stage of their careers. Now, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you give Logan some credit because he was so dominant last year. But, I mean, this guy, this, this you know, Emerson Hancock has a chance to be All an right. elite starting pitcher. Right. Um, and, I, I mean, <laughs> it's common sense, but, like, I love the guys who combine stuff and polish. Those guys usually wind up being pretty good. You know, it's, it's like with the hitters. You know, you have some guys sometimes who have huge raw power, but they don't make a lot of contact. But the guys who can make contact and drive the ball, those guys are pretty good. And again, I mean, you have premium stuff and you throw a ton of strikes. Those guys usually wind up being pretty good players. All right, but take your Bulldogs hat off because I know you're wearing a Bulldogs hat. (laughs) 20 years from now, when we're looking back at Hancock's uh, major league career and comparing it to the kid from Texas A&M, who will have had the better major league career? Yeah, you know, Ace Lacey. And you know what? I think it's 50-50. I mean, Lacey passed Hancock. He was a consensus top-pitching prospect this spring. You know, he's left-handed. He's about the same size. He's got similar stuff. He had a better spring, although, I mean, we're talking about four starts, so it's not a full spring. He had a better spring this year. His stuff was sharper. Hancock definitely has much more polish and strike-throwing ability than Asa Lacey. So to me, you know, to be honest, we we had Lacey ranked ahead of Hancock. We try to reflect the industry consensus. But if you ask me just gut feel, and this is without being a Georgia grad, yep. I would take Emerson Hancock okay. because I think his stuff is just as good as Ace Lacey's. He's not right-handed. I mean, he's not left-handed, but he commands it better. So if I had to go gut feel, yep. I, I would take yep. Emerson Hancock. And I think I read where you were intrigued by the Texas junior college pitcher that the Mariners got, Connor Phillips. Did did I read that right? Yeah, I mean, he. we thought he was the best junior college pitching prospect in the country. Now, look, I mean, you know, junior college guys, you know, usually aren't fully polished. He's only a year out of high school. You know, he was on our radar last year, Mitch. We, we, we ranked him as one of the top 200 prospects in the draft coming out of high school. He could have had third-round money. Teams were willing to pay him, you know, third-round money. He wanted more. Um, he was originally going to go to LSU, but he wanted to be draft eligible, so he switched to McLennan Community College. And, you know, look, he's inconsistent. His first couple starts this spring, he was 92-96, up to 98, velocity deep in games, We've had a plus curveball, hasn't thrown a changeup as much. You know, he's still projectable. He can get stronger. Um, you know, he's, he's that stuff over polished guy I was talking about. He, he needs a better changeup. He needs more consistency with the breaking ball. He needs to throw some strikes. I mean, he doesn't have the smoothest delivery, um, but, but it's, a, it's a super live arm. He wasn't as good his last couple starts out. I mean, again, it's, it's so weird this spring evaluating guys based on four starts. Like, that gives you a complete picture. Right, right. I do think, I mean, this is kind of a weird comment, but let's say things had been shut down like two weeks earlier and we just saw his first couple starts, then I think Connor Phillips probably goes in the second round. I mean, it's a big, big time arm. Wow. All right, I got two last ones for Jim Callis. Number one, for so many years, you know this, Jim, because you and I have been talking for years, Seattle's been at the bottom of minor league rankings, but in the last 18 months, there seems to be a shift with some of the trades that they've made and some of the cultivating of talent. Kelnick is is in the top 15 on most lists. You got Julio Rodriguez. You talked about Logan Gilbert, Evan White, George Kirby. Where is is it fair to say that the Mariners' farm system, the health of their farm system now, is a top third 
in Major League Baseball, or is that too aggressive in your estimation? Uh, we, we had him ranked ninth coming into the year, and they just added one of the best pitchers in the draft. So, yeah, they have. I mean, I mean, farm system rankings are, are A, somewhat cyclical, and B, somewhat, you know, based on, you know, where you're at as a team. You know, when, when Jerry DePoto was in, hey, we're, we're pulling out all the stops to win now, and it's all about, you know, trading to help the team now – you know, it was totally different. And when they embraced rebuilding and then they went out and stole Kelnick from the Mets and they, they've had some really nice first-round picks, it, it's gone in the other direction. But, yeah, no, I mean, it is one of the better farm systems in baseball, one of the top ten. Um, you know, Hancock certainly adds to that. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I have no idea if we're going to have a season this year or what it's going to look like. And they're, they're, I don't think they're too far away from contending, to be honest with you, because, you know, it's unfortunate in terms of development there's not going to be a whole lot of minor league time. I mean, I think they'll come up with something once they get the major league season off the ground. But, you know, Kelnick, Rodriguez, Gilbert, White, Kirby, and I'll throw Hancock in there too. I mean, all those guys could be in Seattle by the end of next year or beginning of 2022. Like, that, that's another thing tonight. These are not guys who we're looking at. You know, like, I mean, look, I like Noel V. Marte. He, he's, you know, probably three or four years away. These other guys, right. they're, they're, they're going to be there really, really soon. Mm. So who's the best player in the draft? Is it the number one pick out of Arizona State because of his bat? Or is it the fifth guy that was taken by the Blue Jays that I think played at Vanderbilt? A real good uh, a real good hitter? Who's tw- Again, let's go 20 years in the future. Don't take the easy way out and take the number one guy. Who's going to be who's, who's, who's going to be the best player? Who's the Hall of Fame player of this class? Well, I'm going to take Spencer Torkelson, number one pick. And okay. you referenced Austin Martin, who was number two on the list. And we've talked about Lacey and Hancock and Max Meyer, who went number three as an electric arm. But, you know, we had to, it's funny because guys are even easier to get a hold of, you know, unfortunately, because there aren't games being played. But I did a story probably six weeks ago now on who was the best player in the draft. And, we, and I talked to 34 general managers, scouting directors, cross-checkers, all decision-making type of people. Who's the best player, Torkelson or Martin? And would anybody else be in your discussion for the number one pick? And I thought it would be closer. 29 people out of 34 said Torkelson. And just the, 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 the way they gushed about it, I had one longtime scouting director tell me he's the most major league-ready hitter he's ever seen, and he thinks that Spencer Torkelson could step into the Tigers lineup right now wow. and be their best friend. Bob season. Horner. Hey. Another Bob Horner, Jim. Well, he, you know what? He, he, was, he almost he would have broken Bob Horner's home run record. He was two away when the season ended. So he, he barely played two seasons, at, two plus seasons at Arizona State. He, and he was two away from Horner's career home run record, which has lasted you know, almost 40 years. He broke Barry Bonds' home run record for freshman at Arizona State. And that's a great program. He's the fourth, I think, fourth Sun Devil to go number one overall. But no, it's Torkelson. Like I said, I mean, that combination of of not just the power, but the hitting ability, the plate discipline, it's uncanny. The consensus among people I talked to was, you know, best all-around offensive prospect to come out of the draft probably since Mark Teixeira back in 2001. I just don't think there's any way this guy doesn't hit. So, I, so I'm taking the back. I mean, I normally would not take a first baseman, and they're going to try to play him at third. We'll see how that goes. I normally would not say – a first baseman is the best prospect in the draft, but this guy's bat is so, so, so good. Wow. I, I take Spencer wow. Torkelson every day. So 2021, or is that too aggressive? 2022. You think he'll be in the lineup 2022? Oh, I think, well, you know what? I think it comes down to service time considerations. I, there's no doubt in my mind that he should be in Detroit's lineup at some point next year. Now, you know, and you can argue he's, he, I don't know what development's going to look like this year, if he's going to get any professional at-bats in any kind of setting. But, I, you know, I think at worst, 2022. Mm. I've been saying it for a long time. If you like 
the Major League Baseball draft, if you like coverage of the minor leagues, if you just like baseball, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, Jim Callis, known him for years, has been coming on our show since back in the radio days, now on the podcast. No one does it better, and I think the last 15 minutes just listening to him proves that. Jim, great to visit with you. I'm glad that you and your family are well. Uh, Continued success. We'll continue reading, and I can't wait to chat with you down the line. Thanks for being back with us. Hey, thanks, Mitch. I hope everybody's good on your end. And uh, I, I think I accurately foreshadowed this appearance. You, you get me going on the draft. Uh, <laughs> I, I get excited. I love talking this stuff. I love talking to you. Uh, and I'll tell your listeners, I mean, I know, you know Mariners obviously didn't have a very good year last year, and who knows what's going to happen in 2020. They're going to be a really good team in a couple of years. I mean, Kelnick and those guys, you know, Julio Rodriguez, et cetera, et cetera, Gilbert, Hancock, we're waiting. White, and on and on and on. It's going to be very, very good. We're growing. We're waiting. We're growing old, Jim. We're We're growing old, but we're waiting. Uh, It'll happen soon. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, take care, Mitch. There he is, the quintessential baseball draft and minor league guy, writer Jim Callis. The Mariners system getting better and better with the addition of guys like Emerson Hancock. And you're about to hear his pitching coach next here on episode 96. On the phone with the amazing Mitch Unfiltered partner, Evergreen Golf Call CEO, Tyler Hay. Tyler, haven't visited in a while. How are you guys at Evergreen doing through this whole mess? Mitch, we're doing great. Thanks for asking. I've kind of lost track of the the days, though. Is it like May 97th or 98th? (laughs) I'd imagine that with the stock market slowly recovering and interest rates down, that there are some opportunities that have arisen for your team and your team's clientele? Certainly, Mitch, when the market was down 37 from its peak, there were some really good opportunities. Today, I think that what people are kind of um, adjusting to is a new reality when they think of investing. You know, for the last 10 years, we've been in a bull market and my five-year-old could have made money by just picking stocks. And now I think that people are having to be a little bit more thoughtful about, do I want to own airlines? Is it an opportunity? Is it a risk? Do I want to own casinos or hospitality companies? And then you think about, you know, how the tech sector looks relative to some of those other ones. And you you might be deciding that just buying the S&P 500 and not worrying about what stocks are in it. I think that that might be kind of an old way of thinking and people are adjusting to this new way. Okay, so I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener and I want to learn more about Tyler Hayes team at Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler, what would you say is the best way to do that? They can go to our website at evergreengk.com, and there's two resources there that I think would be most helpful. We write a weekly news newsletter, and it takes a lot of time, but it really does a good job at kind of conveying our thoughts on the market and our outlook, and that's available for free. And then there's also a financial personality assessment that we have on our website that allows clients to kind of tell us who they are, what are their investment preferences, and engage us that way. Hey, Tyler, thank you so much for being a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get on the link soon. (laughs) Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. Hancock, the one-two to McNichol. Swung out and missed. He struck him out with a beautiful change. Hancock, the two-two. Swung on and missed. He struck him out with a change. Here's the 2-2 swing and a miss. I believe that was a change again from Hancock. I'd like to have seen that. Here's the 0-2 swing and a miss. Back-to-back case to start the fourth, and that's five strikeouts now for Hancock. Our next guest on this episode 96 has been the pitching coach 
at the University of Georgia the last two or three seasons. The man who worked closest with Mariners' sixth overall pick, Emerson Hancock. He's Sean Kenny. Coach, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. You got it. Appreciate you having me. All right. You joined the Bulldogs on June 10th. 2017 coming over from the University of Michigan some young guy from Cairo Georgia decided to go play ball in Athens what two days later on June 12th is that the story yeah I I, that's when I got really really smart (laughs) when he decided to be a dog Um, and, and he would be terribly upset at me if I didn't let everybody know that it's Cairo Georgia okay Cairo which I don't know how anybody was supposed to know that, uh, but he they cringe when I said it, because I did. I said Cairo, Cairo like everybody else. Okay. You would have taken a lot less money had you known he was coming. You didn't know he was coming. You would have taken half of your salary had you known he was coming to leave Michigan for Georgia, right? Without question, <laughs> yep. He, you know, he was just a skinny little kid with a really bad haircut, and, and nobody had any idea boy what, what what a player your first impression came on a phone call right that's correct yep and and that's really all you need to know I mean you hear whispers of hey this guy's gonna be really good and and um, you talk to him on the phone and and get to know this guy and, and you know you got something special string bean when you first saw him six four about 170 pounds soaking wet Tell all, all of our listeners what your first impressions were when you saw him throw the ball as an incoming freshman. Yeah, he, you know, just advanced. I, I guess that's the word that, that kind of pops out when you watch him. He's just mature from the baseball side and, and just advanced, just advanced with pitch-making stuff. And, you know, you knew it was coming. And our strength guy is really, really good. And you blinked, and he was 215. And, and now you know you're on to something. So go through those first two years. He obviously didn't get a chance to pitch this last year as a junior. His ERA was a little lofty uh, in the fives, but he pitched a lot better than that his freshman year, right? Yeah, he did. And, and you know, we toyed with the idea of just throwing him out there on Friday nights right as a freshman. We, we knew he was our, our best talent. But, you know, we just – we, we kind of said, all right, let's let him watch a game in the SEC because there's nothing to prepare you for – life in the SEC on a Friday night. There's just no practice for that. So let him watch. And, and, you know, really the Saturday game in college baseball is, you can argue, the most important game. You're either going to win the series or you're going to set yourself up for Sunday tied. And so we threw him out there on on Saturday. And, um, you know, he pitched, like you said, pitched a lot better than the numbers. But the breaking ball wasn't quite as good as it was the next year. So, you know, he battled through some growing pains. But, the thing you saw right away was the, the moment was never too big for him. Play television or radio analyst, baseball analyst, and, and break down his pitches. Fastball in the mid to upper 90s. I know slider. He's worked on the curve and the changeup. Go, go through them with us, his best. Yep. It's a four-pitch guy with all the, the new data out there now. It's a high spin rate fastball. Um, but what make, makes him unique is he has the ability to pitch up in the zone with the high spin. But then he has a plate full of horizontal breaks. So when he wants to, that ball moves 17 to 19 inches sideways, uh, which is rare for somebody to be able to do both like that, uh, certainly at our level. And then he's got a little curveball, which I think as he progresses, it's kind of slurvy. 
I think the guys in, in with Seattle will probably turn that more into a true curveball. And then his out pitch is the hard slider. It's mid to upper 80s, and, and he can throw that thing whenever and wherever he wants it. And, and I think the changeup doesn't get enough credit. And, and as he moves up the minor leagues, I think you'll see an above-average changeup as well. You pushed him to pitch up in the zone with that fastball, which was a difficult thing to do because he had such incredible dominant success with the fastball lower in the zone. Talk about the process of trying to get a young man to trust you and to throw that ball up upstairs. Yep, that's exactly right. You, you described it perfectly. You know, he, he's a kid, and I kind of talked to all the scouts about this, is you have to be really, really careful what you say to him because he, he's the most respectful kid you'll ever come about, and, and you better know what you are going to tell him before you tell him because he'll do it. So we, we kind of wrestled with exactly what you said is we, we've got to get this kid to commit to pitch up in the zone, but we need to be sure that's the right thing because he is going to try it if we ask him. He, you know, he was, before he was 95 to 98, 99, he was a strike thrower down in the zone. That's what he's accustomed to doing. And so we just had to talk him through the data points and, and how he's in the top 10% in the major leagues of spin rate and what that means and, and uh you know, he was just getting it as the season was shutting down. It was a little bit of a process for him, but, man, he, he can get some swing and misses up there when he's going good. Do you believe, uh, not that you would know because it's not your forte, that he would have been the first pitcher or the number one overall player taken had he not had a couple of bumps in two of those four starts in 2020 before it got shut down? Yeah, I, I'm clearly biased, but I, I just I don't know if there's anybody – better than him I, I, I truly I, I think you know he and this is why he's going to get to the big leagues and be successful is you know he didn't pitch competitively since last June you know he had the lat issue so we were real careful with him both in the summer and we were real careful with him in the fall so he didn't pitch competitively from June 1 to February 14th and so he was a little rusty and that's all we're talking about with him and he knew it he wasn't pressing he the whole time he just said hey I got it I'm close I'm gonna get it and each start was a little bit better and and right before he shut down he was starting to put it all together and feel comfortable and to answer your question directly yeah I I don't think there's a better arm out there uh in the country well if there is one here's what I was disappointed when they when the Mariners drafted him I I ran straight to my computer and I said to myself, well, the number one pitcher that was taken is out of Texas A&M, another Southeastern Conference school. I got to go find one of those Friday night games between Texas A&M and Georgia where Hancock and Lacey went at each other. But it turns out, I guess because you guys are in different divisions of the SEC, we never saw that matchup between the Texas A&M uh, starting pitcher and your guy, right? Yeah, you know, there was a couple of those on the schedule that would have been a scout's dream. Um, not just Asa Lacey and Emerson, but, but some arms down in Florida and some arms at Vanderbilt. And you, you really could mark off some really cool nights on Friday in our league, and you know, you're looking at the future of the big leagues. How did he handle that Vanderbilt offense that was so feared and won the national championship? They had a guy, Ethan Paul, from out our way uh, on that team, yep. one of the captains on that Vanderbilt team that, that won the championship. How did Hancock handle that lineup? Well, he left the game, and we were up uh, one to nothing. You know, we lost two to one. 
um, or maybe we were up two one and lost three two. But you know, I I had I think I've talked about this. I've been in college baseball 24 years, and that might be the best offense I've seen. And he went right through him and looked like he was better. And so, you know, and he did that a lot. His record didn't reflect it. I think he lost one to nothing to LSU and, and got a no decision against Vandy, and I think there were a couple others like that. And he likes those moments, which, which is why I feel confident when, when he's pitching in front of forty and 50,000 people here in a few years, he'll fit in just fine. So when you and him – his pitching coach, and the player himself, if you guys could snap your fingers and he could be automatically, instantaneously better at one thing, what one thing would you guys choose that might stand in the way between the young man being a great college pitcher and being at the top of the rotation as a starter for the Seattle Mariners? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the answer is a little bit what you – mentioned earlier which is trusting what he can do with the fastball you know in out up down and then being able to throw the change up all the time because he has the ability to throw that change up to right-handed hitters as well as left-handed hitters and, and he knows it it's just committing to i probably can get this guy out with a slider this right-handed hitter but i'm going to get him out with a change up so he doesn't see my slider until that bat two or three and so that that's what makes this kid so special is the answer to the question is, is he so advanced that he just needs to get better at committing to advanced pitching, mm-hmm. which he has the ability to do, which is why his future is so bright. You just talked about all the impressive things that he does physically, and we haven't even chatted about what may be most impressive about him how meticulous, how much of a student of the game he is between his starts from, let's say, Sunday after one series is over until that Friday night when he's going to be on the mound again. I'm, I'm not sure you've been around guys that study and, and are ready and are prepared on the college level like he was to walk out to the mound. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, we talk about this in recruiting all the time is you want your best players to be your best people. And – you know, he takes the same approach to everything, whether whether it be community service, whether it be academics. I think he's a three eight, three nine, four zero student, and it just every day for him is planned out. He used to call me Sunday night or Monday all the time and say, "Okay, what does my week look like?" And, and there was only one person that did that, so I, I had to have my schedule together for him, so so he would plan. And like you said, he's meticulous and he's committed. He doesn't slip. Every one of our guys on our team said he's the hardest worker they've ever been around. So there's no there's no coincidence why he's as good as he is. And I actually even changed how we coach our pitchers wow. based on how he sticks to his routine. Mm. So we were trying to take his mindset and, and coach it into the rest of our pitchers and, and nobody's going to be as good at it as he is but if we can just get him a little bit better because of what they saw Emerson do then we're going to be better but but his his preparation second to none all right we won't hold you to this last question uh, for the pitching <laughs> coach of the University of Georgia Mariners fans will not hold you to the answer to this what what year should we circle if, if you could guess, what year? Should we circle 2023? Should we circle 2024 as the year that we see him on the Mariners' mound? Yeah, you know, it's funny you ask because we were just talking about it yesterday. 
if you had to start him in the big leagues right now, I'm not saying he's going seven innings and punching out 10 because we all know those hitters up there are different. But I think he's capable of getting out to the big leagues tomorrow. Now, the big thing for him will be the length of a season. Can he get through 142 games in the minor leagues and, and then add 20 more of that in the big leagues? So, so I think he needs a full season. But but I only think he needs one full season. Ooh. So he, he doesn't need to, to get better, throw more strikes. I think he just needs to learn how to handle the overall workload. But ability-wise, he's ready to roll, so I'd say sooner rather than later. 2022. Sounds like 2022. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He'd be ready. He'd be ready. It's just uh, It just comes down to, you know, how fast they want to move him. Terrific. Can't wait to watch the progression. We'll be watching every start in the minor leagues and then ultimately on a major league mound for the Seattle Mariners. Pitching coach Sean Kenny, really nice with his time. We're talking about Emerson Hancock out of Cairo, out of Cairo, Georgia. <laughs> a bulldog, a Georgia bulldog. Thank you, coach. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's the voice of Georgia Bulldog pitching coach Sean Kenny on his prized right-hander Emerson Hancock, the future number one starter for the Mariners, and maybe a lot sooner than we might ordinarily think. It's time to catch back up on Mitch Unfiltered with Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest, President Dan Black. I was really excited the other day to get some good news, Dan Black, for Zeke's Pizza and all your fans out there. Yeah, Warren Fay is 1.5, and so our... Uh... Dining rooms are at 25% capacity in terms of being open, and our patios are at 50%. So, yeah, uh, we're feeling good about it. All restaurants open. What kind of precautions are you taking? Anything that we should know for all of our listeners that are getting ready to go back out to Zeke's Pizza? All 17 locations open. Uh, we're following all of the state's guidelines, so that means that at least half of the tables will be marked off as closed. Uh, when you come in, there's no bar seating. Markers so people can stay socially distanced when they're uh, waiting in line uh, at our takeout places. Plenty of hand sanitizer, other cleaning supplies around. And so you see, you see more people cleaning than usual. And we've tried to make it really clear for people uh, in terms of what they need to do while they're in there. So it should be, it'll be different than what people are used to, but it'll be easy. And of course, you expect the delivery business to continue thriving because there's a lot of us that are still undetermined on whether we want to go back and sit inside just yet, right? Yeah. uh, Initial indications are, though, that people want to get out. And so things have been busy. But yes, we expect delivery and takeout to continue to be at the forefront for the foreseeable future. I think I think there's somewhat of a permanent shift towards that being more prevalent in people's lives, even as people get out and start to dine in more. And still, by the way, Zeke's Pizza app is the best way to get that delivery service over and over again. Yep, it's the easiest. That's what I use. Once you've signed up with your email and done a few easy things to get it installed, then pizza and beer is basically a couple of button pushes away. And so that's basically the only way I order at this point. Well, I'm thrilled for you guys. I'm thrilled for all of us. We can go enjoy Zeke's Pizza and a cold beverage inside Zeke's, 25% capacity or on the outside opportunities for 50%. I'm thrilled for you guys. I can't wait to take my family back. Also, you can download the Zeke's Pizza app if you're still not quite comfortable going inside, still have delivery service right to your door. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Thanks for being a great partner, Dan. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks for all the support during all this. Unfiltered.
enjoyed three little interviews. <laughs> That's right. You know, like the three little pigs? Yeah, during this little comeback this you're making. This little yeah. comeback that involved three little interviews yep. with Sam Smith and Jim Callis. And, of course, Sean Kenny, the pitching coach of the University of Georgia. Nice. I've been so watching a lot of University of Georgia football from the 80s for some reason. So, Oh, it was, you, have you seen there's a famous uh, game that broke my heart because I also used to like the University of Florida. There was a Florida-Georgia game from my youth, from like my middle school, high school youth. I think Herschel might have been in that game, okay. but there was a long pass. Go back and look for it. Okay. That broke my heart, like 88 yards. Lindsey Scott was on. I just remember the wow. wide receiver. He, he had an NFL career like for half a minute. But Lindsey Scott, anyway, I don't know why I'm bringing this Is up. Is Georgia anyway. the stadium that has, you can like sit on the train tracks? Does that ring a bell or, to you or no? I think it might be. Um, vaguely uh, familiar. University of Georgia, Athens. All I know is they play the greatest cocktail, the greatest outdoor cocktail party. That's right. Florida, Georgia. They don't play it at the stadiums. They play it in, in Jacksonville. Oh, really? Yeah, they don't play it in Gainesville, and they don't play it in Athens. They play it in Jacksonville. Oh, I thought it rotated every no, year. Did it used no, to? No, it's, it's one of those games where you can see the line, the division of Florida yeah. fans and Georgia fans. Yeah, the greatest outdoor cocktail party. Really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting Lindsay to, Nelson. I'm starting to view things through this, this different lens because of what's going on, and I'm watching this game, and you see people up on the hill waving Confederate flags, yeah. and it looks really dated, and then they cut to... The, the upskirt shot on the cheerleader that you would see in every game and not think really anything of it. Right. But so like, I feel like 2020, you do yeah, you know, those things. They don't it just, feels, they don't grow old. They don't, they don't age well, as you like to say. Yeah. You know? it does like my tweets, feels, you know, my tweets age well. It feels antiquated. Every time outdated. I send out a tweet that, that ends up being wrong, somebody finds it and says, this didn't age well. Oh, it just pisses me off. Yeah. People like to delete the, that. They do it to Trump all the time. No matter what he says, someone will go back five <laughs> years and find something he said about Obama. Uh, hey, who are those people, by what the way? What we do without you? And by the way, Twitter, if you'd like to follow. Good call. Hotshot Scott, you are at Scott Soden. That would be S-O-D-E-N. S-O-D-E-N, yes. Yes. I, I used to think it was S-O-D-O-N. I used to write it up as S-O-D-O. Oh. But it would be Scott Soden. S, just Scott Soden. Yes. Now, if you want to follow me. Oh, God, we're going to get an underscore lesson. Here we go. It would. It used to be KGR Mitch, but as you know, I'm not allowed to use that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I'm allowed to say it. I think somebody might come into my house and, <laughs> and, and with a broomstick. Uh, <laughs> John Madden's gonna <laughs> jump through the wall. Hey, wait a minute! I caught that ball. Uh, you can't say that. Uh, I'm not KGR Mitch anymore. I am Mitch underscore Seattle. Now the underscore. Well, I'm not talking hyphen now. No, here, no, we're sure that's not. a funny guy, Mitch hyphen Seattle. Oh, he's hilarious. That yeah. one, yeah, yeah. Underscore is like the underline. That's right. Yeah, it sits on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah right. Mitch underscore Seattle. You following the NASCAR thing and what they've not done? Not really. Bubba Wallace and the Confederate flag. It's a southeastern thing, so I, I'm, I'm I'm guessing that there's a lot of Confederate flags at these tracks and so forth. Yeah. So NASCAR officially banned any Confederate flag from all events starting. ASAP starting last week, which okay. is kind of a cool thing. Bubba, okay. Bubba Wallace was the one. He's he's African American. He's the only driver I think that is African American. Right. He, he was really the one that was like, "Well, what are we doing, everyone? If it makes people feel uncomfortable, why are we doing it?" Right. And they listened and they got rid of it. But a, a funny side effect of it was a driver named Ray Cicciarelli, I think his name is. Oh. His wife Cousin sent Ray. out his wife sent out a post that said, "It's been a fun ride and a dream, but we are not going to participate after the 2020." season now NASCAR, the wife is not going to participate well she said we okay so i'm dying to know if he was in on this because they're not. bringing the confederate flags down yeah 
They they can't they can't can't be bothered. Okay, well this guy drives in the NASCAR truck series. Okay. Okay. There's you've already lost me, but go ahead. But just know that there's like Bubba Wallace NASCAR that that's the uh, the Cup Series. Yeah. There's Xfinity and then there's okay. okay. He okay. he's so it's kind of minor leagues. It's pretty low level, yeah. Yeah, like double A baseball. So NASCAR responded to him yeah. on social media from the yeah. official NASCAR account. Said, "Uh huh." We actually had to Google who you were. <laughs> I like that already. I know. Uh, I'm like sure your dozens of fans are real sad about your crusade to defend participation trophies. Oh, God. Yeah. So um, they, they went hard at him. His account has since been deleted. I think oh, he was geez. getting too much feedback there. So goodbye, Ray. Enjoy your driving career. All right. My turn. Yes. The world is calling bullshit on Pete Carroll. Okay. Finally. Are you, uh, are you familiar with the story? I'll read it straight from Brady Henderson himself. Okay. Our guy, ESPN.com's Brady Henderson. Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll says... Hotshot, he regrets not signing Colin Kaepernick in 2017 and denied that a second meeting with the quarterback was scuttled in 2018 because of the team's uncertainty about whether he planned to continue kneeling during the national anthem. Speaking with reporters via video conference last Thursday, Hotshot, Carroll also revealed that he received... I'm going to try to do this with not smiling. You you can't tell that I'm smiling. Carroll also revealed that he received a phone call earlier in the day from another team asking about Kaepernick, saying that he didn't, that hadn't happened until now. Carroll wouldn't disclose whom the call was from, but it left him with the impression that at least one team is currently interested in the quarterback. Now, here's the kicker. Kaepernick visited the Seahawks in the spring of 2017 after he opted out of his contract with the San Francisco 49ers, making him a free agent. Carroll's reasoning for not signing him at the time was the Seahawks felt he was a starter and they already had one in Russell Wilson. Carroll added on Thursday that he was certain that Kaepernick would be starting somewhere else that season. So if we are to believe (laughs) Mr. Pete, he was too good. Right. We didn't sign him (laughs) because he was just too good, Hotshot Scott. That's why we didn't sign him in 2017. Yeah, Pete Carroll, we all love him, and he's, he's fun-loving and all that. But he's Pete. He can get away with a lot because he's just Pete, right? When he talks, it just feels like he's a robot. I mean, that there's just nothing authentic. He just says, uh, I mean, I don't even know how to – I mean, him and Russell are turning into the same person, right? Well, Russell stepped out a little bit in the last couple of years. He's starting to say some things that, yeah, that rock maybe. the boat a little bit. Yeah, you're right. I just, I, I just wanted to say this is a very important – story because I didn't know that NFL teams yeah. passed on guys that they brought in because they were too good. Right. Who too knew? Good, we don't want them. That's right. He doesn't fit here. They're too good. Don't need and, that. And let, me, and let me ask it to, to you this way. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Pete's telling the truth. Maybe he's telling the truth that they, they seriously didn't sign him because he was too good. Yeah. But let me ask you this question that we can move on to the next story. <laughs> okay. When Colin Kaepernick agreed to visit Seattle in 2017, would you say that Russell Wilson was established as a pretty good quarterback by 2017? Yeah, he was a starter. Had they played in the Super Bowl yet? Oh, yeah. A couple times? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. Actually, won one of them. Did Colin Kaepernick think when he came to Seattle that he was interviewing for the number one quarterback job? Or did he come to Seattle knowingly, voluntarily, because he realized he was coming to be Russell Wilson's backup? He had no delusions of becoming the starting quarterback okay. for the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. That's why he was in town, Pete. And yet he wasn't signed <laughs> right. because we didn't want to offend him right. and have him be the backup quarterback. We already had a, a starting quarterback. Yeah. I don't know. 
complete bull crap. <laughs> Are you following the, the Yankees? Huh? The, this thing with the Yankees? I love Pete, by the way. I mean, who doesn't love a, him? He's done a hell of a job. I love Pete. Somebody I, I told me. I love Pete. Someone I don't told want me, to get in trouble with Pete. <laughs> but come on. He definitely listens. Come on. When he got hired, someone told me that it, they don't know how it's going to go, but if it's successful, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it has been a lot of fun with him here. So, yes, yeah, I love him too. Well, since I'm taking a shot at, at Pete, and, and I don't believe that they didn't sign him in 2017 because they thought he was too good. Right. Uh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> as, a, as a good sport, and a guy who now, according to that emailer, he hears more humility in me now than he ever did. I'll, I'll go ahead and throw myself under the bus. Okay. When Pete Carroll was hired, here's what Mitch Levy said on the radio. Used to do a radio show oh, yeah, yeah. in Seattle. Here's what I do. Even though this little comeback. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Fun little attempt. Uh, what I said was 50 games. Really? Yes. I- 50 games. I gave him 50 games. I said it won't work. He'll get 50 games. He will be out of here in 50 games. And by the way, I was reminded that I said that a few times. That didn't age well. Did not age well, Because through no. 50 games, they were like, I don't know. They were like 38 and 12. <laughs> right. And he was doing just fine <laughs> yeah. through 50 games. So I throw myself under the tra- on the track. I don't think many people saw any reason why it would work in Seattle. You, you look at his NFL career, you can base it on that, which doesn't mean everything. Right. I just, it just didn't feel like it was, that, that was the right move, but. Boy, I, I told you I introduced him at one of his book signings in Seattle, right? Oh, no. Yeah. Or do, maybe you did. Do you remember he came out with a book before he had even coached one second? Yeah. Win coached second here. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For Seattle. Win forever. Win something. forever. Of course. All right, so now he's doing a book tour, and I have to go. In, I, I was asked to introduce him at some, I don't know, some church or someplace in Seattle. There were probably 20 people there, 15 people, yeah. all in their USC. Not one Seahawk fan showed up for him. Yeah. And I had to go introduce him, and he starts heckling me in the back. He's behind me, like, like heckling me. Like I'm trying to make jokes. He's like, Oh, that was a real good one. I mean, he's like, you know, he's like heckling me, this guy, Pete Carroll. But it was just, it was just kind of sad that no one, I mean, smash cut to like four years later, it'd be a line around the block, right. For him to do a book signing. People yeah. love him. People. Yeah, nobody was there. Nobody was there. It 50 was, games. Hot shot. Yeah. I, I gave him 50 games. I didn't. Yeah. That sounds about but what every I once in a while, you know, you bring in people, you bring in great players, and if they're too good, they don't fit on your team. <laughs> Who needs that? <laughs> All right, you following uh, the Yankees being accused potentially? I'm not following it, but I did see that there's something being some some old emails being uncovered that that the Yankees potentially were in some sign st- stealing stuff themselves. That's Is that right. right. Yeah. So a, a judge recently uh, said that this has to come out. Um, so he ruled on Friday that the MLB and Yankees must release a minimally redacted letter sent to the team by MLB wow. Commissioner Rob Manfred addressing a 2017 sign-stealing mm. investigation. The best part about this, though, so last year Aaron Judge for the Yankees, he, he tweeted an ESPN story, retweeted it about the Astros cheating and said, wait, what? Okay, he retweeted the story. Oh. So over the weekend... Astro Carlos Correa, yeah, simply tweeted. Oh, Wait, by the way, he's pretty good, Scott. You should get to know him. No, I, well, he's like is, is he big, good or is he getting all the signs? Well, he's one of the greatest players in the game. Right. Yeah, he's a, he's a superstar. Said, oh, I would. Someone if I was saying it right. It's, yeah. he, he simply tweeted. Wait, what? <laughs> Same thing, right back at Aaron Judge. They don't age well. <laughs> no, they, that they was don't only age a, well. Only a year ago, Aaron Judge. Oh. It was like a November. Aaron sent that out. So, it's all right. Have you watch. seen? I, I posted the video earlier on Sunday. Have you seen the video of Lamar Jackson, All World MVP quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, former Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson, having a nice Sunday in June 
playing football in the sand. Have you seen this? I only saw it when you brought my, to my attention when I came in. Yes, I saw and it. And if you were the head coach or the owner of the Baltimore Ravens and somebody said, hey, here's your quarterback. Here's the face of your organization playing football. Take a look at this video. What would be the first reaction that comes to mind? Oh, I, my heart would oh. drop. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure co- coaches probably hate it when they play in all-star games oh or Pro my Bowls. God. Forget that. I mean, this is... How do you describe what's in that video for the people? If, and for those of you who have not seen it, you can go to my go to my Twitter, Mitch underscore Seattle. Uh, how do you describe it? They're playing sandlot football on like a beach. On a beach, yeah. And he takes... He's playing quarterback. Yes, he is. And he takes off. He, he gets he gets pushed out of the pocket. A good pass rush. <laughs> right. And he gets... And then he, and then he scampers... And he and no one is getting close to him no. to tag him. And he ends up like being pushed into the water towards a wave runner, and then he has to like dive over the wave runner to avoid a collision with the wave with the wave runner. I mean, it's it is just I mean, if you're the Ravens, you are just like on the phone with his agent like yeah. now. Get yeah. him on the phone. Like, look, I know you're twenty five yeah. or whatever, and you're full of energy <laughs> and you're a young guy, but please oh. be careful out there. Ugh. All right, Miles Garrett. He's taken a lot of crap over the Getting years. Getting ready to get a huge contract, I see, right? Yeah, it's not with the Seahawks as we... Uh, oh, I thought he was... <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought he was a member of the Seahawks. <laughs> he he hasn't he done the press conference yet? <laughs> well, he's helping out an Ohio protester. So you're not very accurate on the on the texts about sports no, unless they're deaths. That's not true. You're really good with death. I think you're 100% on deaths. I don't think you've ever gotten one <laughs> No wrong. one's come back to life on me? <laughs> anyway, he's helping out an Ohio protester named John Sanders. He was shot by a beanbag oh. from the, by the police. Oh. Uh, it shattered his orbital socket and oh my God. destroyed his eye, leaving it permanently damaged. So he only, he only has one eye now. So he started to go fund me for this kid. Kid, he's a guy. He's you know, a young guy. Yeah. And it's about $20,000 last I checked. So good for Miles Garrett yeah. for helping this guy that's, out with, his, very nice. with all of his bills. Yeah. He had a bad moment. That's right. I don't Lost know that temper. I don't know that Miles Garrett is a good guy. I don't know if he's a bad guy. I don't pretend to know him. He had a bad moment. That's right. And it was a terrible moment. And it was on national TV. It was on national <laughs> TV and it was just a really bad moment. Right. In and by the way, a bad moment in a sport where these guys play, I think we said this on the on the podcast. These guys are asked to be on the edge. They play on the edge. Right. Defensive linemen play on the edge. He had a bad moment. He went over the line. There's no question about it. But we asked these guys to play on the edge, and this shit like this is going to happen every once in a while. That's right. Yep. That's what I have to say about that. Uh, I just found an email that I forgot to read that I somehow missed. Okay. I'll make that the last thing. So if you have a couple of other things, real quickly, I'll just say – uh, the NBA, there are NBA players that are concerned about the restart in Disney World under the bubble that we talked about last week. There are a handful, like Carmelo Anthony, I think, is one. Of, there's like three or four guys. Okay. I mean, more than three or four concerned guys. Concerned for health reasons. Yeah, they're, okay. they're afraid. They're afraid to restart. They think maybe we're restarting too soon. It's not going to be healthy, whatever. I, I don't know why I found this to be somewhat funny, but Patrick Beverly, do you know Patrick PB? Patrick Beverly? No. He's like a... Uh, a, a defensive stalwart for the Clippers who used to play for the Rockets. Okay. And he's very mouthy. Very mouthy. Okay. He'll say things on the court. He's, he's just a disruptor on the court. And he'll tweet a little bit. And he tweeted, look, Hoopers, say what y'all want. If King James says we're hooping, we're hooping. <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> he's King James yeah. is making the decision here. He's called the king if for If LeBron James yeah. wants to play, we're yeah. all playing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And that might be kind of true on some level. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen to the boss. Andre the Giant was called uh, the boss in WWF for a yes, good reason. <laughs> he was the boss. All right, Julie Wheeler from West Virginia. You don't know who she is. Uh-oh. No, is no. It's, it? Is well, this the one? 
This is your last one. No, you get two. You, you want you, you? Are we getting one? Well, I was going to ask you a question and do an, okay. a quick rest in peace as well. But okay. no, it's it's. I save those for the patrons. I think they let. No, you do them on the on the. Oh, do I? Yeah, the broom guy. I like to save the real dirty ones for the, the patrons. Br- they 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 appreciate it more. Yeah, the patrons right now are going. That's what he thinks of me. <laughs> That's right. I'm out. <laughs> They're a little more open to that. No, oh. this this is. I just thought this was kind of funny. So she pleaded guilty to federal health care fraud in February, and after an investigation into her pill mill clinic, her husband and son reported her missing recently. And who is this now? Just a woman named Julie Wheeler who okay. got in trouble for okay. messing with pills. Okay. Her husband and son reported her missing and claimed she fell from an overlook, like off a cliff. Holy God! Right. So they looked for her for days until eventually finding her. Alive and well in a closet at home because she was trying to get out of the charges that she got a few months earlier. She hid in the closet. They tried to fake her death on an overlook. <laughs> All right. First things first. If somebody falls off a cliff, oh. the body's probably going to be down there. Something down there. There's going to be something down there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they even planted stuff oh, around God. the edge. And, oh. Yeah. So if you're trying to fake your death. You could probably do a little bit better than saying someone fell off a cliff. I'm realizing that on my notes here on the computer hotshot that I did not read one of the emails that I had brought forth. I thought maybe this was like the this was supposed to be the first one that I read. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately, I must have skipped by this subconsciously. I don't know. Dear Mitch, would you just stop with the non-sports bullshit? <laughs> this is why I lost my patience with you on the radio. <laughs> I don't understand why two guys that have so much to offer about sports yes, I continue to find ways not to talk about them. You are killing any chance of a radio station hiring you back. <laughs> Take it for what it's worth, Jack. Well, I mean, a lot to unpack there, but I don't even know how I forgot to read that, how I missed that. There might be other reasons why a radio station won't hire you back other than not talking sports. Now, I'm, uh, but I'm wondering what his opinion would be if if there had not been a pandemic. Because I think we are maybe talking a little more not sports because there's nothing going on. I wonder if he would feel the same way. I'll, I'll have him call you. Yeah, please have him call me. That would be nice, yes. That's my last one of the day. What else All right, real got? quick. Yeah. 30 for 30s, they're yeah. kind of oh, saving yes. us. yes, 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 yes. Bruce Lee, you ever going to watch that? No. Okay. No. But McGuire Sosa... We're, we're recording this on a Sunday. Yeah. People, it will already been out. I actually saw it. Oh. I saw that? it. You pirated it. I did. I Kind of, sort of. I did. I gaffed it. I, I was gaffed gaffed it, it like yeah, a little yeah. snap. No, um, I am going to be interviewing for 96P on Thursday the filmmaker who's done like a Kurt Cobain film documentary and he's done a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, what was that called? He's yeah. a guy He's a guy from, from Missouri, I think. Okay. St. Louis, the St. Louis area. Grew up a Cardinals fan, a Jack Buck fan. He made this movie for ESPN, this documentary. And so I thought maybe it'd be interesting to talk to him about the making of this yeah, movie. Sure. And they sent me an advanced copy. I felt very, very... The kids, wow. the boys thought I was the... Finally, I was finally the They were like, <laughs> wait a second, this isn't out yet? No. And when I put it up... with they taught me the guy the boys taught me how to do something from my phone to stream it live to the to the tv oh, nice. so we got it on the tv and it had my name on it oh. like uh, on the tv well, and it had like special thing on like in the middle of it like and it wasn't completely done the color wasn't the sound wasn't regulated cool. it was just like the rough copy of so i saw yes i saw the uh, the documentary, the 30 for 30 documentary on the summer of 1998 that aired last night. If people are listening to us on a Monday, that aired on Sunday night. Yes. You want to give some thoughts about it or do you want to wait? <sighs> I haven't seen it, but I can't wait to watch it. Well, I love it I'm, I'm, you, you may be asking the wrong guy. I, I, I don't know if I come across it. I'm a huge baseball fan and that type of stuff I really like. So I tend to like that stuff, okay. whether it's good or not. 
a lot of people are really giving it a, a bad rating, a thumbs down, because he glorifies 98 and the chase between McGuire and Sosa being a St. Louis boy and whatever. He doesn't even bring up the steroids and the PED scandal of 98 until I think it's a good hour. In, I mean, I don't, it's never even brought up. Really? Yeah, it's a real. Okay. So if you're if you're anti-romanticizing that race, that summer, I, I remember, like you, everybody remembers remember, that yeah, 98. Oh my God. It was like every it day. Was it was unbelievable. Like. Yeah. So if you're anti that, you won't like it. If you're okay with him taking a, a kind of a, a positive look at this race between two completely human, different human beings. Yeah. And what you're going to get is, well, I, what, I mean, I don't know what you got. If you, if you listened to, it, if you watched it, you know, back then, Sammy Sosa was so effing likable. He was just so friendly to the media. He loved the spotlight. Smiling. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. He was hopping and skipping and, yeah, yeah. and hugging McGuire. And McGuire was kind of the guy like, all right. He was kind of like he had to do the media. And he, you could see that he, that he didn't want, he didn't like the limelight. He just yeah. wanted to be his own guy. So there was two completely, one was really likable and it wasn't a villain. Yeah. I mean, you remember this. Yeah, it but wasn't so like really, magic and bird were just completely different people. Just completely yeah. different people. Yeah. And, and Sammy Sosa had this, this boyish charm about him. Yeah. And now here we are 22 years later and the documentary comes out. One guy has admitted to the PEDs and admits it on the show again and says it was a mistake and I should have never done it. I didn't need to do it. I could have hit 60 home runs, 70 home runs without it. And the other guy, one guy has turned into kind of a sympathetic, likable figure, I think, in in Mark McGuire. And the other guy will not admit it and is just standing by his his guns and still (laughs) he's been on lists he even had a couple of years later a bat that broke and cork came flying out of it okay steroids and cork bats nobody in the world who doesn't believe that sammy sosa was doing peds when he was hitting balls over the stadium and onto the porches of the guys across the street. (laughs) That's right. There's nobody. And he just will, he is just not going to admit it. He says, I'm a grandfather. I'm happy. I'm good. Uh, Okay, stop asking me. He doesn't want to ask. So anyway, you'll hear, I think, I have a scheduled interview this week with the uh, the director uh, who did that. A guy named uh, AJ, I want to say Schnack is his last name. Anyway, so I've seen it. So I'll I'll be interested to see if you, are you going to watch it? I can't wait, yeah. Okay. So well, I, I will have seen it before we, we get together. Anyway. Yeah, again, I'll say, say it again. If you are somebody who wants to see a major portion of this be about performance-enhancing drugs and the scandal, what you're not going to – maybe you do remember. What I didn't remember when I watched it the other night, the advanced yeah. screening, is Junior is a big part of this. Go I on. I forgot about that. Okay. He was right in the race. It was, everybody thought it was going to be Junior and McGuire, not Sosa oh. McGuire. And at the All-Star break, like halfway through, Junior's got like a ton. Junior's right there. Like at one point, huh. it was like McGuire 37, Sosa 34, Junior 30. Junior was was in the wow. race. Now, I know there's a lot of our listeners going, Mitch, how do you not remember that? You yeah. Were, yeah, how could you not remember how Junior was on fire in the first half of that? I just didn't remember. I didn't remember I didn't that recall either. that. So he's a big part of this. Interesting. You'll see a lot of Junior in the... Uh, in the film. I can't wait. Anyway, I'm in. Yeah. All right. One quick rest in That's peace yep. for a building that you and I have driven by a thousand times over a rest, the weekend. You're now going to rest in peace a building. I am. It was an old restaurant called the Shanty Cafe. 
It's gone? Well, it's been out of business, I think, for a few years. It is? It but, has? Yeah, you're a big fan, obviously. I haven't been down there lately. <laughs> <laughs> you're not invited. No. You got Reggie Bush. I'm persona the- <laughs> non grata. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it caught on fire. We're laughing, but it was it was a vacant building. It caught oh, on no, fire no. over the weekend. Oh, this. Oh, because it caught on fire once before, didn't it? And they re- rebuilt it? It's gone now. Or am I wrong about that? I don't think it. Yeah, I think they had a fire a long time Maybe ago. Maybe inside the kitchen or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Level. Goodbye, Shanty Cafe. That was Seattle's oldest restaurant. By the way, really? Yeah, I remember hearing. And you could tell. <laughs> well, I, I said that to our buddy Jeff Antosh, and yeah. he said, "Yeah, I think the bread is still." I had from that plenty of come, I had plenty of. Well, I can't say come to Jesus, right? I can't do that. I'm not allowed to. I, I, I had plenty of heart-to-heart chats after shows with Hugh Breedlove Millen at, at the Shanty. Shanty is that right? Yeah. You have been in it. Yeah. When he was mad at me, that's typically where we ironed out our differences. Really? <laughs> Over a really greasy omelet? <laughs> a really greasy omelet. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, our, our building was literally across the street yeah, from it. On Elliott Avenue. On right? Elliott, yeah. Little shanty. I think people know the shanty. Well, there's some people listening to this that are in St. Louisville, Missouri. That's right. They don't know. Phoenix, Arizona. We got big fans in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm big. Maybe that I'm was big. Fish, by the way. My, your little comeback. <laughs> that could have been Fish who wrote that. He's from he lives in Phoenix oh, now. Yeah. All right. That, that's it for me. That's it? I'm good. Yep. Episode Cortez uh, Kennedy. What? Are you looking for more emails to make us feel bad? I just want to make sure... You were overrated on the radio, and this little comeback attempt is desperate and uninteresting. You may have fooled some, but you didn't fool me. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> All right, Tez? Of course. We love Tez. Love him. May he rest in peace. That's right. Episode Cortez Kennedy, number 96. I better come up with something for 100. I feel the pressure. I feel the heat. Big show. Is it the worst?